a corpse in the housing chair this week. Great. <laughs> <sighs> Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Your List Sucks, Top 100 Seeds of All Time, episode number four, 70 through 61, I believe. I'm back. Took a sabbatical last week. Uh, Jake had made some picks the previous week that made me need some time off to reconsider You know the point of the show point of my life the point of human existence um but we're back i'm here in the hosting chair caleb coho is backstage producing uh we're finally at full strength four episodes in hopefully don't screw it up too bad uh jack after a string of second place finishes how do you feel about this week you think it's possible you might pull off number one finally um i mean I doubt I'll make number one, but number two, uh, second place isn't uh, out of sight, I think. So uh, we'll see. I'm a little, uh, haven't been feeling terribly well today, so I'll be talking, or I'll be trying to talk a little less. Uh, All right. Cody, undefeated so far. You won with me, you won with Coho. You gotta keep the streak alive tonight. Listen, Jack talking less, shocker. Um... I think the over-under right now is too tired, so you can place the bet on that, how many times he says that, and how many times he passes you to talk about the scene, why you like it more than him is at one right now. I think there's chances of two or three being called. No, I'm fine. I'm battling allergies, so I might not be as feisty, or I may be more feisty. I'm not 100% sure, Uh, but... Anything's better than that corpse we had last week. The man didn't even, he couldn't, he doesn't watch movies on normal speed. He couldn't even watch scenes that were 10 minutes long. The man did no effort. No effort and he knew it for a week. Crazy. It's crazy time. So I'm glad you're back. All right, Jake. Yes. You've been, I'll be nice. You've been, it's been a struggle so far. You've been having having a rough time. Do you think you can crawl out of last play? Now I feel better because. Coho had you uh, last uh, last place last week too, so that's not just me. Mm-hmm. Can you crawl the cellar this week? You know, I think I don't know if this is the top ten, but I think it's slowly it's rising. As far as I feel, the quality and the less outrageous picks that I think you and some other people might think are on my top hundred. Um, but I I have been having fun and I've been enjoying the reaction, and it's uh, it's fun to talk about scenes that are just kind of just fun, you know. You know, Godzilla scene in Crank High Voltage, for example. You know, it's good to have those type of scenes. All right. Not, not, last but not least, the man who last week wanted to call me out for a movie I liked and then proceeded to die on the hill defending Phantom Menace, Scott Harvey. I hope we don't have a repeat of that while I'm here this week. How you feel about your chances going into this? Well, 
Look, first of all, if I'm going to be if I'm going to have things held against me for things I said about movies that were not even on my list, then I'm probably in trouble. However, I've been in the middle up to this point. You know, I enjoy watching certain reality television programs. People may not know that, but The Amazing Race, Top Chef. There are always these people who are in the middle of the pack and they coast along simply by not being the worst. And by the end, all of a sudden, they're in the finals and they win. It's like, how did that happen? It's going to be me. And that That's season sucks normally. So I'm with you. When that happens, like, what the hell happened? Group sucks. Let's see that. Let's find out how that happens. Jack, kick us off. Remember, everybody, we're under spoiler alert. You see a movie that you don't want ruined for you. Mute until you see the banner go away and a new one come up. Uh, we're doing this like a regular, what, your list sucks still. Regular, your, your list sucks rules. Jack, start us off with your bottom three, 70 through 68. All right. Uh, my number 70 is Lisa Investigates Thorwald's Apartment from Rear Window. And my number 69 is the four Jacks scene uh, from The Sting. And my 68 is uh, Recounting the Day from Mass. Uh, so when Jason Isaacs, uh, yeah, if, yeah right. if you've seen it, you know. All right. Uh, 70, Lisa investigates Thorwald's apartment. Uh, this scene is brilliant. Uh, it's incredibly tense. You're, uh, you're stuck in, uh, in Jimmy Stewart's apartment with him the the entire time while Grace Kelly goes across the courtyard to Thorwald's apartment and starts looking around, seeing if she can find anything. And I... Every time I watch it, I start sweating. I start shaking. It's incredibly tense. Uh, one of Hitchcock's best moments uh, that he's ever directed. I love it. Uh, incredible scene. Before Jack's scene from The Sting. Uh, I'm sorry. Paul Newman is just fantastic in this scene. Uh, where he just... Uh, he Basically, this is where he first meets uh, Lonigan. Uh Played by played brilliantly by Robert Shaw, and uh, they play a uh, they play a poker game uh, together on this train. And uh, Newman is acting drunk the entire time. He's uh, and he cheats his way to uh, to beating Lonigan and his and his buddies. And it's just so much fun to watch. Absolute masterclass of writing in that scene. Uh, and then recounting the day from mass. There is not a single scene uh, last year that destroyed me as much as this scene did. Uh, 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 Jason Isaac's performance in this scene, well, all four actors, uh, and uh, Mark, Mark Clinton, I can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, I think it's Richard something. Reed Bernie. Reed Bernie. Maybe his character's name is Richard. I can't remember. Whatever. Uh Jason Isaacs steals the scene uh, here uh, when he's recounting. For those of you who don't know what this film's about, it's two parents, are uh, a set of parents from a kid that uh, had passed away in a school tragedy and the parents of the kid that took uh, their the other kid's life. And uh, in this scene, Jason Isaacs goes into graphic detail about how everything unfolded that day and how he knows what his son's final moments were like, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, Jason Isaacs 
giving one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. Incredible moment. All right. Uh, you're number 70, Rear Window. Uh, I really like this scene because uh, I think the best thing about this movie is the set design and just the space they have with all the different apartments and the other building. And, you know, it's, it's a, a real physical place um, that's, you know, th that they're moving in and out of. Uh, and I think this scene really highlights that. Um, you know, like you said, building the tension, um, but also bringing attention to just how many moving pieces there are within that building and that courtyard and that that whole complex there. Um, so, yeah, I think this is my, you know, one of my top five definitely Hitchcock for me. And this what you see in this scene is a big uh, reason for that. Um, the Sting, yeah, I, I think this is a really good scene. Uh, just Newman, you just, you know, him playing the con artist and coming in drunk and, you know, kind of turning the tables. Uh, Robert Shaw is trying to, you know, cheat him basically. And, um, you know, he, he, he ends up cheating back uh, to beat him. And just, just so many, you, you learn so many great things about those characters uh, without a whole lot, you know, actually being said, just watching them play this game. Uh, and then Mass, I haven't seen the movie yet. I watched the scene. Uh, yeah, Isaacs is in a little bit. I watch Isaacs is fantastic. Um, just the best actor I've seen from him. You, know, you completely forget this is like the guy from Harry Potter and all that, you know, all the other stuff he's done. Um, just real powerful. I want to see it because it seems like it's really well acted and uh, really just well made. I don't want to see it because, you know, knowing the subject matter, watching that scene, imagine that extrapolated over an entire movie has to be pretty rough. But um, the scene was pretty good. Uh, so that is uh, Jack's bottom three. Cody, we go to you next. Muted. My turn. Yes. Sorry, I had an internet stuff. Okay. Um, my number seven is the John Wick's introduction in John Wick. Basically, the phone call leading to the entire smashing the stuff. Um, uh, my sixty-nine is Marty meets Doc in fifty-five and Back to the Future. Yeah, okay. He he can't he fire the man behind the thing. He, doesn't do it. Doesn't he he's a corpse again. He's also, dead. He's dead. Somebody look look out for the man. He's he may dead. May not be also oh. managing during this as well. <laughs> oh, great timing! Great timing. Um, they're probably going to lose anyways if it's who I think it is. Um, um, and sixty eight is let's go fly a kite, uh, Mary Poppins. All right. Okay. Uh, so 70, uh, the more I look at this, probably way too low for me. I think this is the greatest, one of the greatest introductions to any character in film history. I think it's just absolutely epic. Basically where it starts is he gets off the phone with, um, I don't know the character's name, but John Lee was on this character and he's like, he killed his dog and he hangs up and you just hear like the slow beat of the score, like start and he gets a son and he, he like starts talking to his son. He first beats the shit on the son. Basically, he's like, what, that nobody? I stole his car. It doesn't really big. And then he starts basically telling the story of John Wick and calling him. He's like, so he's the boogeyman? No, you send this man to kill the boogeyman, the Baba Yaga. Basically, all the breakdown. Why this is happening in this epic tale um, and how like slow and precise he is. Like, I think, I don't know the actor that plays the father, but how he looks at him. Like, the longing look in the film, he's basically, like, saying his final goodbyes to his son because he knows what's coming. Like, he knows there's no getting out of what he just did. And 
he will kill a thousand men to do this one thing. So he keeps telling the story, and why this is happening, John Wick is heading down to his basement, and the score is getting intensified, and he's got a sledgehammer, and he's basically bringing back the thing that he set behind. And I think it's one of the greatest like introductions to a character, because it's he creates this larger-than-life character in total of like eight minutes. Of this character that you're like, okay, he beats the shit, he kills his dog, it's sad, but you don't know what he just unlocked, and it, like, sets the stage for the rest of the movie, and I think it builds, like, the perfect world. Like, you don't know what the coins mean, you don't know why he has all the guns, but you know something's coming. And then it ends when he picks up the phone and he calls Wick. And he basically is like, oh, you know, sorry that I had to cross paths like this, blah, blah, blah. Wick says nothing hangs up the phone and he knows from that on it's over it's done um i think it's a perfect introduction 69 marty meets doc in 55 um there's a lot of scenes i can pick from back to the future i think it's i think it's a perfect film i love this film it's my third favorite film of all time the reason why i picked this is because i think it has the greatest interaction between the time travel and marty and doc basically marty comes back he finds Doc Brown in 1955 and is trying to explain to him because he needs to get back because he's time grown and he needs to get back to where he's present. And it's the exchange basically between him and Marty and Doc having no clue who he is, not, not believing. It's a classic line where, you know, well, Mr. Future Man, who's the president in 1955? Uh, Ronald Reagan. And he loses it. What? The actor? Who's the vice president? Jerry Lewis? And it like, goes through the whole thing, and like their whole exchange of him being a scientist like puts the thing, and he goes, well, you know what this means? This damn thing doesn't work at all. Like It's this comedy that's built in the scene, but you get like the perfect like 85 meeting 55 from the two characters that you already uh, think, and I think it sets like the perfect tone for that movie. Um, and my 68 is Let's Go Fly a Kite. Probably my favorite Disney song of all time is Let's Go Fly a Kite because I think it's absolutely just perfect from what the film is. I've described this film as a movie that I think of like something like I don't think the world as harsh as it is at times deserves like a movie like Mary Poppins to exist in it. I think Mary Poppins is like joy, happiness, like rolled into one film for me and it brings back so much nostalgia. Um, and Let's Go Fly a Kite is basically the, like, Banks, anybody that's had a dad or a rough-around-the-edge dad that doesn't break those molds and doesn't, like, break and get you to, like, know the character or, like, know the fun side of him, this song is, like, a perfect indication. Banks is this hard-nosed dad, like, I will run my house with respect and discipline and you will not pass that. And this is the end of the film where he basically lets down his guard and he's like, you know what? I quit my job. We're, I'm going to go fly my kite with my kids. And the song breaks out and it's this enjoyous feeling. And I love the ending of this. Well, I think it's just a brilliant thing. It's like Poppins had to enter the picture for Banks to break down to become who he was. So let's go fly a kite. All right. Um, yeah, John Wick. Uh... I don't think it's for me. This is not a top 100 scene, but I understand why you put it on here, and I understand what you're saying about it. It is a great character introduction, just the way they do it through the eyes of somebody else and the way they build him up. Like the, you get all the mythology of John Wick right there, and why they're so afraid of him. I just love the interaction. Kind of reminds me of like um, Road to Perdition with Paul Newman and his son. Like how like I'm obligated to protect you, 
but you're a stupid moron and you've you know like he knows like not only is yes he's going to kill my son he's probably going to kill me but now i have to, i'm obligated to send like dozens or hundreds of men to try and stop him who are all also going to die and it's all because of you and your stupid mistake and Elfie Ellens is such like a perfect little like sniveling bastard like so perfectly cast in that role um and just the way like he like just how clueless he is like his dad's beating him up he's like what do i do i don't know i don't understand what's going on and like he's he's, he's just not grasping it um so yeah no it is a really great way to introduce this character and um i, I don't think the the rest of the movie works as well if you don't do something like this to really like make people understand who he is um the back to future role uh, uh back to future scene i do think like you said there are scenes other scenes from back to the future i'd probably put on here um but it is a lot of fun i just love the time of that moment he was like do you have an idea what this means <laughs> this thing doesn't work at all uh, no. i think i think christopher lloyd's really good at and just like something that's never brought up and like just real low-key the fact that he's the exact age like he hasn't changed at all in 1955 and they never address it never talk about it, it just it is what it is i think it's hilarious um mary poppins yeah i mean it's just so like it, like you said just just joy and happiness um and just everybody finally you know after all like especially like how dour that scene is where he gets fired and just how like just just what a low moment that is to come back from that um also but at the same time as a dad who's been out of work and in that situation i watched it like this dude's losing his mind like he, this this probably isn't gonna end well like but it's still within the scene it's a lot of fun uh we move on now to jake for your bottom three uh, so my number 70 is the ending slash then I woke up from No Country for Old Men. Uh, my number 69, uh, 69 uh, uh, the karaoke scene from Booksmart. And my number 68 uh, is Jazz and Miles Davis from Collateral. That's the yikes. That's the yikes? Cool. Uh, so 70, then I woke up. Um, one of just like the most like somber and most melancholy endings ever to any movie that I've seen. Uh, just the whole se sequence, uh, uh, sequence of events that happened throughout No Country has sort of just like has shaken uh, Tommy Lee Jones to the point at the end he just retires. He's like, I can't really keep, keep up with this evil that's just changing. And at the end, he tells his wife uh, two stories, two dreams that he's had, uh, both featuring his father, and just sort of like him going into detail how it's sort of like feels like him sort of moving to the next stage of his life or like the end of his life. And that's sort of the whole idea behind the movie is morality. And just the fact that he talks about him riding uh, horses with his dad and then how he just, he sort of leaves him. And then he knows that if he keeps going, he'll be able to see him. Then he just like, at the end, he just goes, then I woke up. Like he doesn't get, doesn't have the ending that you think he would have like a dream. And kind of like this movie, it just ends on Tommy Lee Jones' sort of like somber face and just like recollecting the fact that like, that his his life or his sort of like his his life is almost at the end of it and we just don't know what's going to happen next um i'm just really summer ending uh 69 uh karaoke scene from booksmart i just i love alanis morissette uh she's one of my favorite artists i'm a massive massive fan of jag little pill album um well I, I remember watching the film in the cinema and i knew i was liking the movie a lot but then when it came to the point when that karaoke scene happened and then you ought to know starts playing, I just was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is destined to be one of my favorite movies. And when uh, it's George, George is singing the song and it's just like certain things that he does, which is just hilarious. He's like, he, he eats the mic Elvis style. He just goes, you ought to know, Alan. 
there's just that stuff's really good but the, the moment that just really makes it for me is when amy starts singing and like this is sort of her finally coming out to not just i mean not like you know as just she's gay she's been out since like 10th grade but finally coming out and actually talking to people and finally hanging out with ryan who she has a crush on and it's just like finally this sort of like fuck yeah moment of her finally being sort of herself with others and it's sort of just really great scene but also it's a scene with the last rush that song i love the scene it's awesome and it kicks ass all right okay yeah that was uh, yikes okay yeah the no country scene uh this movie the I, i'm not the biggest fan of it the more i watch it the more i like it the more i get out of it um so like i don't love this scene but i'm not going to criticize it because i think there's more to it that i've got out of it so far um, so I'm definitely going to hear Holtzman heard the, the Holtzman signal. You talked about yeah, book right. smart. He immediately logged. He knew he, he just had to came log out of nowhere. To, someone in Australia is talking about book smart. I need to get online. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I think there's more to this than I've grasped. And I, I think that's this whole movie. Um, but to see the particular, so like I said, it's not a scene I love. I think Tommy Joe's acts it very well. Um, but I think I, there's, there's more meat on the bone that I haven't got off it yet. Um, so it's a good pick. Uh, book smart movie i don't love um but this my actual my absolute favorite moment is is george, george the theater kid that starts a song yeah when he's uh i want you to know that's yeah that is the sure. greatest moment i just i break every time Kevin Kevin I, I love I, I don't even pay attention when the other one when, when the girl starts singing i just i just love i love his character he's my favorite character in the movie i think um he's he's so funny uh i just love how he keeps showing you know that he's he's everywhere they go um but yeah, uh, like I said, not my favorite. I, obviously, not a scene I'd put or a scene I'd put on my top 100. Um, but if I want to pick a scene for this movie, this is the one I want to pick. Um, and your 68 was yikes. So we move yes. on to Scott. All right, uh, my number 70 is the Larry's house scene from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> my 69 is uh the dinner party from 20th century woman best best uh, summed mm. up by the word menstruation um and my 68 is from the godfather it's the killing of salazzo and McClus mccluskey that's a yikes all right uh number 70 uh larry's house yeah the big lebowski to me is one of the funniest movies ever and um this is probably the funniest scene it definitely makes the best use of the funniest character which for me is walter played by john goodman um, this is when they go to the the you know teenage kid's house and are basically just haranguing him and john uh, goodman keeps holding up the homework is this your homework larry is this your homework larry um and the kid is just stuck completely stone-faced not reacting not doing anything like not saying anything um, and he's like, Larry, have you heard, ever heard about Vietnam? Um, and just keeps going off and you see what happens, Larry, you see what happens. Just keeps repeating it. Takes, you know, the golf club goes out and just starts beating up the car, uh, which of course we can already kind of predict that it's not Larry's car. It's not anyone in Larry's house's car. It's the neighbor who, and it's, you know, this brand new red sports car that he just bought. So um, it just sums up the chaotic absurdity of the movie's best uh, best comedic moments. Also, as a fun fact, um, the TV edit says, you see what happens, Larry, when you find a stranger in the Alps. 
Um, of course, not what he actually says in the real movie. But one of my favorite musicians, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, her first album is called Stranger in the Alps because of that uh, that edit. So uh, just a fun fact. But 69, um, I have the, the scene from 20th Century Women. If you've seen the movie, it's the most memorable scene definitely from the movie. Um, it's at a dinner party that um, is being hosted sort of at the boarding house where a lot of the movie takes place. And so Annette Bening's character is there and Greta Gerwig's character and Elle Fanning, all the sort of main women. And of course, um, Jamie, um, who is the, the young boy, that's the protagonist of the film. And there's also some other sort of bohemian type individuals who were there that seem to know Greta Gerwig's character in particular. And um, it turns into this uh, discussion where um, Greta Gerwig's character first just kind of brings up in passing that she's having like menstrual cramps. Um, and then Annette Benning is like, you really shouldn't talk about that at the dinner table while we're, you know, eating, eating dinner. Um, and it kind of turns into this war of attrition because it makes Greta Gerwig want to be even more explicit and say, hey, well, we shouldn't, you know, stigmatize this. It should be, it's a perfectly normal thing that women experience. And so we should all just say the word menstruation. And she starts encouraging everyone to just say the word menstruation, including Jamie and, the, you know, again, the young boy. And Annette Benning is just like... Um, you know, mortified kind of, of course. And probably my favorite moment of the scene actually though is Billy Crudup's character who, um, you know, also is like helping them out a lot. He's he's kind of this like sensitive guy who is hanging around with all of them. And uh, after they've had this sort of conversation about like, you know, the, the female, you know, body and all that, he kind of says, um, you know, I think when you uh, when you have sex with someone, you're not, it's not just your, their body that you're having sex with. It's the whole person that you're doing it with. And there's just kind of a silence in Greta Gerwig's like, I don't really think that's what we were talking about. But thank you for, <laughs> for saying that. And it's a great comedic moment. Um, so it's a funny scene, but it also kind of sums up what is really good about the movie and sort of the generational divide and capturing like this very specific period of time, like the sexual revolution. Um, where like this older generation represented by Annette Bening is sort of at odds with Greta Gerwig and the other folks, you know, uh, more free spirited and, you know, open minded lifestyle. So it's a great scene. Okay, uh, Big Lebowski, another another Coen's brother movie that uh, I'm on record as saying that I don't love, uh, especially as much as a lot of other people do. Uh, but Walter is the best character. And you know Walter's shenanigans, I guess you'd say, is the is the best thing about the movie, and just how he how quickly he goes from like zero to sixty out of nowhere, like just he's 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 ready to fight, ready you know he pulls out his gun, you know whatever, like there's no middle ground for him, and I I think that's a great scene, and just them interacting with it, like they can't you know trying so hard to break this kid, they can't do it, uh, just like this teenager, uh, is a lot of fun. So yeah, this is probably one of the better scenes in the movie. Um, like I said, one I don't love, but this is I this is a lot of fun. Um, 20th Century Women. Um, I've seen this. I think did I watch this? Was I playing you and I watch this? Did I watch this? I think you watched it for my top 100. Okay, all right, yeah, no, good movie. Yeah, the scene's funny. Um, I think uh, Greta's good, and like you said, just like the just the different reactions you get to people from people, um, you know, going through this uh, is a lot of fun. I, and I think she anchors, and I think um, you know she just handles it really well, in, like a really natural way. Um, your 68 was yikes, yikes. So we're moving on to the meat of the order. Uh, everybody's going to get to battle it out now. 
starting with Mr. Jack Pinchuk, whose internet just froze. Uh, and when you're ready, Jack, you're number 67. Can you hear me? Can you see me? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, my 67 is uh, Lunch with Chef Finway from Pig. Yeah. This scene is easily my standout moment from the film. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen the film yet, uh, Nicolas Cage's truffle pig gets stolen early in the film, and he goes to this restaurant to find out uh, who uh, to find information on who has his pig. And uh, he sits down with uh, Alex Wolf's character at at this restaurant, which I'll uh, and. <clears throat> Uh, he sits down and uh, the chef comes out and uh, starts speaking to him and the chef recognizes him as his old boss, uh, Chef Feld. And uh, and Nicolas Cage re recognizes him too and completely destroys uh, this, this man in one like three minute conversation. Uh, just destroys his... Uh, his career and uh his uh just his uh self-esteem as a chef and it's just so interesting to see uh the screenplay uh for this film is immaculate but this scene is where it's easily at its best uh absolutely my favorite moment of the film and once again nicholas cage can't nothing uh i can't say enough great things about his performance in the scene you're muted kirk oops uh it's the chair uh i'm not the biggest the cage fan but he's doing some really fantastic acting here and i love the interaction because the the chef uh chef fidway is such like the perfect foil for his character. Like he comes in, he's like beaten and bloody. He's got that long, dirty beard. He's got blood all over him. His clothes are all ragged. And he sits out like this pristine restaurant and the chef comes out and pretends like nothing's wrong. Like he's like, Oh, it's like perfectly normal. Like, Hey, how are you just polite? And he's the perfect foil for uh cage's character. Who's like completely off the grid, completely like abandoned, like, you know, polite society. And this chef is just like completely leaning into that. And like you said, he just breaks them down. Like, you know, why it's almost like a, like a, like a fight club type scene, like a Tyler Durden kind of like, just bring it down. Like, here's what you wanted to do. Why didn't you do that? What are you doing here? This is ridiculous. None of this is real. And how the, 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 she's really trying so hard. Like he just like, you know, cage is hit him with like these like truths, like about his life. And he's like, Oh yeah, I guess that's a good point. Got a big smile on his face and everything. And you just watch him like, melt away and like just you know just cage just gets perfectly like just hones in and targets everything about this guy's life and everything he's been denied about himself in a matter of minutes uh so yeah it's this is a really good scene i really enjoyed this uh has anybody else seen pig yet i saw it um i'm not as big of a fan of it as everybody else is i think this movie um <laughs> I think Nicolas Cage, I think it wants to sort of have its cake and eat it too with Nicolas Cage. And it wants to be like this very sort of serious, like intense drama. 
about grief. But also you have Nicolas Cage and the premise of the movie is that he's like trying to get his pig back, which is a, you know, a ridiculous setup that kind of um, lends itself very well to camp uh, potential, potential. And I don't think the two things ever come together. I think this scene is like kind of self-indulgent. Like it's going almost for sort of the viral, like, Oh, Nicolas Cage destroys waiter like that you can watch on YouTube. But in the, in the context of the movie, um, I don't think it, it makes as much sense and it kind of speaks to sort of the tonal imbalance, which is the main problem with me for this movie. So um, I understand why someone who likes the movie would pick it, but it's just not for me. Um, I, I mean, I think you just got like five extra dollars in your like Kingsman thing by mentioning the screenplay. So good job, Jack. You did a great job, even though I don't think you know what that means. Um, the screenplay is not great. No offense. I don't understand why this sets it like that level. My overall thing is I think there's better scenes in this movie, but overall I don't, I think this movie is like, I'm a hundred percent with Scott on this one. I think it's like two total different. Like I think the concept of the movie is interesting, but then they make it as such a ridiculous like premise. So you can't like fully wrap your head around or get behind like, the ridiculousness because I don't think Nick Cage is a great actor. I've never thought he's a great actor. I mean, there are moments and everything. I think you can find a scene or a movie, but overall I don't find him that interesting. And I think there's better scenes in this movie that he does a little bit better. So it wouldn't be my list at all. This high. Even, so. Jacob, assuming you haven't seen it. I'm not saying that. Want to stay away from spoilers because I do want to watch it. All right. Okay. Uh, what's your next one, Jack? All right. My number sixty-six is Shane's farewell from Shane. Yeah. Uh, this scene breaks me uh, every time. Uh, it's the perfect finale to this uh, to this film. Shane. Uh, he's wounded, uh, and he he he's just come back from. Uh, dealing with all the people that have been giving Joey's family uh, trouble and uh, har harassing Joey's family. Uh, and he's been shot and he says a final goodbye to Joey and says, you go to your mother and you tell her that there's no more guns in the valley. And his final monologue is just perfect. Uh, and he rides off and you're, and you're never sure uh, what happens to Shane after that, but it's just, it's the perfect farewell to this character. And yeah, makes me tear up every time. Okay, Jack, level with me. Don't you say it. Don't. If, if this movie isn't id Logan, doesn't make your top 100 list. Yes, this movie is great in its own right. I'm just because I love Logan and love this movie, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, no, it's a pretty good scene. I watched this movie the first time this year, um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought it was like I always had the idea in my head it was kind of just like a hokey western, um, but it's actually pretty solid, and the ending is pretty good. You know, just I love that those kind of movies where it's you know you have the character who just doesn't who you know as much as he wants to be a part of the world, it's just not his world. He doesn't belong there, and he has to keep that separate. You know, he can interact with it and he can do things for those people, um, but ultimately he has to move on because it's not his world. And like, I, and like you said, I love the ambiguity of it where, you know, he rides off and you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen to him. Um, everybody else on Shane. Haven't seen it. 
It's not where I've seen the scene, but I've never seen the movie. All right, Jack. It takes us to your 65. All right. Uh, My 65 is the hallway fight from Inception. Yikes. Yes. And my 64 is Schofield's Battlefield Run from 1917. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roll your eyes all you want. I rewatched this today uh, with with my with uh, with my nana, and it's just as great as it was when I saw it in the theater. I mean, obviously, seeing theater is something else, but like the scene still stand, uh, still holds up uh, uh, this time uh, this time later. It's it 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 will never make uh, never never send chills down my spine uh, as Newman's score plays over Schofield. Uh, just sprinting to uh to Colonel McKenzie's uh, uh where, where Colonel McKenzie is down the battlefield line. Uh it's truly uh what one of the greatest uh, moments in the last decade of film for me. I can put the scene on at any point and it just yeah, it, it it's incredible. I love the scene so much. <laughs> Yeah, I think the biggest uh, down, you know, down point of the scene is that it's been overplayed so much, like you see it everywhere. And um, but it's still a great scene, um, especially like when you watch behind the scenes and how they filmed it, and like the fact, like him running into that guy wasn't scripted; he just you know collided with the extra and got up and kept running. Um, yeah, I mean, especially after everything that comes before, like it's just, you know he's so close to his goal, and um, you know he he you now just that like final charge, uh, just him, you know, it's you have this whole battle. That's about to happen, but you're focused on just the one guy and just you know, his his mission. Um, I think it's just a pretty cool juxtaposition between those two things. Um, Cody, you're rolling your eyes at this. What do you think about the scene? Not the scene from 1917 to pick. If you want to do a buzz scene and pick the thing that will stand the test because it was that shot, cool. But like, I was wrong on the scene in the dark. Um, and the, with the flares going off, that's like the better scene from this overall. I even think like the plane coming down scene, like at the, I think this very cool shot. I just think this is just classic. Just Jack just had to get his buzz scenes in there. That makes like, if you play them back to back, yeah, they have something, but like, sure. The movie itself, like is a technical, like something to see. I don't love the film, but I said this, it will stand the test, but, like, come on. Like, do we really need to talk about the run across the battlefield scene again? But good job, Jack. It was slow and quick. No real, no real like, character moment, no dialogue. You didn't have to talk very long. You're, you're smart when you're tired. I like it. I like it. Um, you're not going to get any hate from me. Like, I absolutely love this movie. It was in my top 100. Um this is of course the iconic scene as we pointed out however it's not my favorite scene for the movie that's all i'm going to say on that um as for the scene it's it's very well done and yeah it's you know in another movie you'd be like or if you just watch it in a vacuum you'd be like this seems kind of ridiculous he's just like running straight along the battlefield but i think in the context of him having been on such a journey um you understand why he he does it and you're so in on the movie at that point that you're willing to to go along with you know the minor suspension of disbelief that you have to have um to for the scene to work but um 
yeah, like the the whole scene, the music, everything. It's it's extremely powerful. Um, I do like the scene. I like this movie a lot. Um, like one take stuff, just is like my favorite thing ever. Uh, even if people still call it a gimmick film, um, yeah, I do think the scene's great. But this is like the most overplayed, like Oscar scene. Even though it's a good scene, it's definitely like the one where everyone goes like, "Look at this is cinema right here." Like this is the Martin Scorsese. This is cinema. Um, and I disagree. I there are there are two, three other scenes that I like more. There's one after the scene. There's one before the scene. I think are pretty good. Um, but yeah, no, it is a nice scene, but it's definitely like, you know, textbook uh, Jack Pincher of a scene. So. I'll say, I mean, I agree with you guys that from a technical level, just looking at the scene itself, their price scenes are better. But I think within the context of the film, this is the best scene just because of, every, like I said, everything that came before. Uh, so that was Jack's number 64, which takes us over to Cody Newberry, number 67. Uh, my 67 is the ending to The Graduate. Oh, um, yikes. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna. Yeah. I don't love ever how confident he is on anything. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 90% of the time, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a yikes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, that pisses me off. Um, you don't deserve the graduate. Uh, anyways, uh, 66, uh, pay him his money rounder. Final poker scene, basically, between KGB and, uh, uh Matt Damon's character. Um, again, <laughs> there's a theme. I love poker. Um, I've watched more World Series than I'd like to admit. Um, and this is, like, one of the, like, ultimate, like, uh, the bad guy gets his comeuppance at the end by this, and it's like he gets outsmarted. He figures out like the tell. He gets all the stuff uh, perfectly placed, and like he figures out the Oreos at the end. He ends up smashing them because that's what he got him the first time. He beats him, and he stands up, and he's like, "I pay you with your own money." And he's like, "What?" I he beat him for a big hand at the beginning of the movie. He's just repaying him with the money he already won. He still wins, and he basically he convinces him to sit down and play again. And it gets tense at the end because he's like splashing the pot. Like KGB is like running the money across the thing, splashing it. And Matt Damon, poker etiquette, all he's like, please don't splash the pot. And the classic, I will splash the pot whenever the fuck I want. And just basically just is like raining. And then he loses and he like flips out and is like at the very end, he's like, pay him his money. He he ends up winning. It's a lot of uncut gem kind of thing. It's like this guy's down a down a terrible road. He's got a terrible friend throughout it. He's got all the skills to be successful, but he keeps like getting in deeper and deeper. And he doesn't know way out. And this is like a set, this is like the opposite of Uncut Gems. He gets his come out, he wins, and he's able to ride off into the sunset, cut ties with his bad friends, and move on. And I think it's a campy scene, and it's not like uh, John Malkovich, but I think John Malkovich is doing a great job as uh, KGB. I think he's just brilliant when he's able to deliver it. It's one of those like over the top scenes, but I think overall it pays out really well. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were. Was it Mo the Molly's game scene we were talking about last time? Was it the last poker scene? Yeah, full tilt. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I said that like I'm not a big poker guy, 
but I like in movies when you know they break it down the way they do and like hey and I think I think it's a uh, poker is such a great game for cinema just because of the way it plays out and how it can be explained and this you know uh, and I think they do a really good job and like you said that moment where he turns around he's like okay I won okay move you over he, he he's gonna he gets his money he can go do whatever he needs to do now he's like no I have to go for that and that's kind of like the whole thing like his whole movie is uh, the whole movie is like you know how far is he willing to go um, so I think it's good. Like you see, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, and he makes a dumb decision and, you know, in uncut gems, it doesn't pay off here. The dumb decision does. Um, so you're like, you're almost not rooting for him because like, you just get out while you can stupid. Um, but it works out. It's pretty cool. Uh, everybody else, how you feel about the ending of rounders? Uh, great scene. Uh, rounders. Really good movie. Uh, it's one of my brother's favorite movies. Uh, he's a big poker head, like you, Cody. Um, and I think he's seen like scenes from this movie like 20 times. Um, so I kind of know it from him. Uh, but yeah, this is a great ending. Um, I do like the ending, I do like the sort of the turn. Um, it's just yeah, really good stuff. And yeah, when he notices the turn, like the Oreos and like that whole stuff is, is really cool. And I think, uh, let me just check my notes. Uh, I think AFI awarded John Malkovich the uh, the greatest performance of all time and he's the greatest accent ever as Teddy KGB because it's just like flawless Russian, if you, if you ask me. I haven't seen this movie. Me either. I need to. All right. Uh, 65, Cody. Somebody, two people will not understand this. Scott probably will not understand this either because it's not in his room. But there's something that's a little overdone in our in our in the United States of America, and that's patriotism. And when patriotism, when you do the raw raw America, there's something about it. And this scene is from the Patriot. It's the tomahawk scene from the Patriot. It's about to be the last scene of um, Blowout. <laughs> <laughs> this movie does not get enough credit for how fun this movie is. My favorite time, like, there's like two times in history that I like find three, I guess, is fascinating. I think the Civil Rights Movement is very fascinating, and I like to study World War II, and the Revolutionary War, I think, is super interesting to like study about. It's what I studied a lot in college. Um, the tomahawk scene in this scene is ridiculous and campy, but the setup before it, Jason I, uh, it's Jason Isaac, right? Coho, give me a thumbs up, right? That's play, yeah. One of the most ruthless villains in any movie that no one talks about. He is by far the biggest scumbag that you've ever had in a movie. He basically, you want, you want to talk about a crumb bum scum bum punk. Um, facts. He shows up at uh, he shows up at Mel Gibson's um farm because his son, he played by Heath Ledger, has returned. He's injured, and uh, he's taken in like all these different troops, including British. Like he's helped them their medical treatment. They all show up on horseback, and he says, like, uh, I can't think of his name, but Mel Gibson's character is like, hey. Uh, he's been in war. He's been in the war. He knows the rules and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, he's a message writer. You can't hurt him, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'll give you a rough lesson in the rules of war. And shit, like, puts the gun to his head. He's like, or your family. Basically, bur he burns his house and then ends up shooting his child. 
like shoots his child because his child makes a move for him and runs towards him and he shoots it. So his son is now dead from the hands and his other son's captain. So basically him and um, Mel Gibson and his two sons run into the woods with him and they're basically going to like bombard this uh, group that's taken Heath Ledger's you know character. And he basically sets up, and this is old school, like muskets, like you have to reload, there's a huge time, and he's basically the famous aim small, miss small, I quote it all the time, but he's like, they're going to take shots, and he's going to end up like running back and forth to help them and take out all these men. There's like 20. Um, he gets to a point where there's like five or whatever left, and then he pulls out his tomahawks, and he just goes fucking ape shit on them, just fucking brutalize them. One gets right to the head, he cuts them down. And he ends up saving his son. It is so awesome. There's a lot of scenes from The Patriot I honestly could pick because I think this movie is really underrated. But uh, this scene is like when he aims and like throws it. And he he ends up show it's so bloody. Like when they show it, you show it on TNT all the time. But when he shows it, it's like completely gray because he jumps in the river and basically like brutalizes because that's the person that shot his son. And he, yeah, Tomahawk scene, Patriot. Raw, raw, USA, USA. Yeah, the movie overall is not something I would describe as fun. It's more like, oh. how many more family members does Mel Gibson have that Jason Isaac can brutally murder? That's like the whole point of this movie. So true. Uh, but this scene is fun. I watched. It. I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I didn't remember. I, I like. I remember like him cut, like the, the the cut of him like coming up with the tomahawk. But I didn't remember the whole scene. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like studying those eras too, and I like. The older stuff like Civil War, Revolutionary War, when uh, because you always see like the reenactments and stuff, and it's always so clean. I like when they show how like gritty and dirty it was, like with you know, like glory, you know, they open the battle scenes of glory and stuff like that. Uh, and this one, I just love how like they're sniping these guys, and just just you know, early on, the first couple of shots, guy just gets hit, you see like the one shot, like just the blood run down, the guy go down, and just like how he's tactically like taking all these guys out. Um, and yeah, once he gets down there and, you know, he makes that final shot with the Tomahawk. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great action scene. Just great setup. And like you, it's one of those things where it's like, um, it's almost like with Inglorious Bastards and the Nazis, like you don't want to see, like, there's no need for mercy. Like, and you, you don't feel bad. There's, he can't do anything bad enough. That's going to make you regret what he's doing. Like you want to see as much merciless violence as possible and they give it to you. And I love how that pays off here. I wish it did a little more later in the movie, but. Um, that's either here or there. Uh, anybody else see the Patriot have comments on this scene? Nope, I haven't seen it. Um, I've seen it. Um, I used to really like the movie when I was like early high school, but I honestly probably haven't seen it uh, since then. So I would need to go back and watch it again to remember the scene because all I remember about the movie is Mel Gibson like swinging the American flag at people in the final battle, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not American, so obviously I haven't seen this movie. All right. Cody, here's 264. Um, basically, uh, this movie, um, I think it's brilliant. I, I, think, I think Spencer Tracy is one of those actors that is just the classic actors that I absolutely love. And it's the Remember to Love Your Woman's monologue from Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, or his monologue. Um, yeah. And Jack had it earlier. Um, this movie, I <laughs> this was the year that uh, who is Cindy Lou or not Cindy Lou? 
Sydney Fortier basically taught two people, two white guys, not to be racist, and um, and they both got the nominations, and he did not, <laughs> which is also still one of my like favorite like Oscar moments. He taught the two white guys not, and they got the awards. Um, this was the if anybody still won, it's Spencer Tracy. Um, Spencer Tracy um, is absolutely incredible in this film, and it's basically the breakdown of the film. Again, this was, I think, logged in, one of Logged In's movies of the month, I believe. I'm not sure. So a lot of people in the community finally got to watch this. Um, basically, it's just, it's um, daughter returns home, brings her black son, a black husband, uh, fiance to the thing, and they're completely just racial lines are not crossed at that point. And it's basically his breakdown because everybody is at odds. The dad, the mom and dad from his character are like, no, you cannot marry her. Uh, she's like, I'm going to marry him regardless if I get your blessing or not. He's saying, you're not going to marry them, marry her unless you get the blessing. So it's back and forth. And he finally is like the voice of reason where he finally says, listen, like he's talking through the entire, like basically playing through that entire setup while he's delivering this and it gets to a point where like she's like you said that to him and he's like yeah well this might be the last time i ever get to tell you this but shut up and he goes in and he goes there is no doubt that the love that you that she feels for you is what i felt for your mom and it will be here long after i'm gone like he basically breaks down and says, you guys are fighting against something that doesn't make any sense. Like, this isn't our business. This isn't our fight. Two people have found a love that is not thing. And trade her with respect, love her, cherish her. You have my blessing. And, like, it ends. And, like, I just think overall, the scene, the movie, the time frame this movie came out, and to deliver that with two of, like, Hollywood's, like, top actors at that point Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn in this movie and basically like saying let's and Sydney Poitier and basically let's move the line why are we still fighting about that in 60 and 60s when the height of the civil rights and everything I think is just brilliant like film like and what they're able to do and I feel I still think this movie is like a like something people still need to watch and still need to reflect on and I think this is a monologue because there's also a scene in this movie that I wanted to pick is like when he's getting the ice cream and he's basically breaking down that because I think that's also a great scene that leads to this scene because it's like why can't everybody just like the I like vanilla you like let's just out me and stay away from it but I think the scene is absolutely brilliant and yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I yeah. love this oh you had this too, right, Jack? This is my 79, I believe. All right, or, go ahead. Yeah, this is my 79. Uh, yeah, th this monologue is incredible. Spencer Tracy gives a hell of a performance here. Uh, I was one of the, the people in the community that saw this or logged it, and I am so happy that uh, it was the movie of the month because I had a great time with it. It's uh, easily one of, I feel the most important uh, films of, of its era. And this scene perfectly encapsulates it. It's uh, yeah, it's a brilliant scene. Uh, yeah, this is a, um, I love this movie in general. Um, I think it, overall uh, Spencer Tracy is given the third best performance. Um, and I, that's nothing against him. I just think Catherine Hepburn and, um, 
Sidney Portier. Sidney Portier is like probably like one of my top five all time forwards in this movie. But I love that he gets his, his you know his chance to si- shine in the scene. And like Cody said, basically just wraps up everything that's kind of happened throughout the day. Um, and you know him, you know realizing that all the stupidity that he's gone through earlier is like okay, no, it's not worth it. We need to let this go. Um, I think there's also like a meta element to this because. Uh, Spencer Tracy died like he was dying when he filmed this and you know like the connection between him and Catherine Hepburn in real life I think when you see her like watching him like her character has kind of already come to this conclusion has been waiting for him to get there and like you see that pride in her of her as she's watching him come to these realizations and you know and it's also Catherine Hepburn watching Spencer Tracy do this you know this kind of acting probably for the last time uh, is is, is kind of a really cool moment so uh, yeah great scene uh, a lot of great scenes you pick for this movie. This is a good one. Uh, Scott and Jake, uh, have you seen this? And if so, why did this make the list? Uh, I have not seen it, but I've seen Guess Who with Ashley Switch and Benny Matt. So <laughs> if that means anything, oh, Scott, go ahead. <laughs> Sadly, I haven't seen it yet either. All right. Uh, that takes us. That was your 64. So now we're over to Jake. Uh, Jake, 67. Uh, 67. Uh, we have one scene from The Big Lebowski. Let's have another one from The Big Lebowski. My favorite scene, probably. Uh, Donnie's obituary from The Big Lebowski. Um, so this scene is really funny because this just really, like, just further... I mean, it's at the end of the movie, but it just shows, like, how still crazy Walter is. And he'll still bring up Vietnam and Saigon and all the men that died there. Um, at the point, Donnie's died. He had a heart attack. They have his ashes. They're on, like, some sort of cliff over in the sea. And they have this old, and Walter has this obituary. So he's gone. He was great. He loved bowling. He loved he loved the sea, the ocean, and he also loved bowling. And he doesn't really say really much about Donnie. And he just brings up Vietnam and how, and God, you took him the same way you took all those young men in Saigon. And and, and the dude's just there, just watch, just listening, and just like just having no clue what the hell he's talking about. And he just goes good good, good night, sweet prince. And as he dumps the ashes into the ocean, the wind blows the ash straight back into the dude's face, um, which is one of my favorite comedic visual gags ever. Just the shot of, of Jeff Bridges just getting all this ash of his be- of his dead best friend, just covering him in his face. Absolutely hilarious. And then Walter just notices, and then the dude has this tirade against him. He's like, what the fuck are you, do- what are you, fucking talking about? What the shit had anything with Vietnam? And they just have this like little somber moment at the end where they just sort of hug. I mean, Walter's really just like trying to hug him there at that point. Um, just really good stuff. It just yeah, further just shows why um, John Goodman gave one of the greatest comedy performances ever. Um, and just that that gag is just everything that's just funny to me. It's just the fact that just Ash just blew straight in his face. Uh, absolutely hilarious. Yeah, continuing the conversation we had about the last scene. Um, like you said, Walter just kind of just doing his own thing like really it has nothing to do with Donnie it's all about him and you know his situation uh and just kind of and that's kind of was their relationship the whole time like a just continuation of the relationship between Donnie and Walter is like well you know Donnie was just kind of there and following along but it was all about Walter and the dude um and so yeah again not a movie I love pretty good scene not I I like Scott's better uh between the two uh, not one I'd probably pick for a top 100. Everybody else on the uh, the funeral scene from Big Lebowski. I couldn't care less at all. No, nothing from this movie should make the top 100. 
I still haven't seen the movie. It's a great scene. Um, I this is kind of the moment where like the dude like it feels like he's finally fed up with it. Like he's finally like I've had enough. Uh, but and Walt, but Walter can almost sense that, and he's like, I'm sorry, you know, or whatever. At the end, and <laughs> he's just like. Ah, like he wants to strangle him, but like he's still his buddy at the end of the day. So it's a great scene. All right, we got next, Jake. Uh, my number sixty-six. Uh, uh, Holtzman had brought it up. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, the pool scene from Booksmart. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Um, this is also just another scene. Like I honestly could have just picked the whole party sequence from Booksmart, but there are so many just great individual scenes that I just really love. And this is sort of like, this is the most beautiful, the most somber, and just the, the one that really re represents like sort of Amy's sort of uh, character. Um, and so her just being sort of free. I mean, the song that, um, I really love the song that plays during the sequence. It's um, Slip Away. I can't remember the artist, but it was featured in the eighth grade trailer. I remember that at the time. Um, and just the fact that like her and Ryan jump into the pool and she's just, there's like a good like minute and a half which is just like just swimming underwater and it's just like it's just beautiful just really just good looking movie uh and that's also sort of the revelation that sort of happens when she notices ryan and nick who is uh, molly's um crush they are um together and kissing and that's when she sort of has this realization that oh wait a minute that's not shit. um but it's just really beautiful powerful scene and like a lot of the movie is driven through uh, Molly, but it's at this point during the pool sequence where it starts to become more with you, you focus a little bit more on Amy and sort of her sort of struggles and her as a character and her sort of being free and having that freedom that she never really had and being able to go to this party is just like means a lot to her and being able to finally hang out with Ryan and actually just hang out with other people and just like really, really good stuff that I just thought was excellent when I saw it and then continues to get better every time I rewatch this movie and the scene. Jake, can I ask you a question? Anything, yes. How, how did you get so good at trivia? Because <laughs> obviously not from watching a lot of movies. We've been doing this for a month now. Every week you come to me with multiple scenes from at least one there movie. There are multiple great scenes from movies. You can't deny I know, that but there's you, only one great scene. you're watching more movies, then you'd have more scenes. I don't think you should. You need two books where it seems your top 100 scenes of all time. Scene's fine. It's nice. It's cute. It's oh nice. Oh, wow. uh, Everybody else on the pulls the, <clears throat> the scene that immediately follows Jake's last scene. We're just going sequentially through books for it now. Everybody um, else have thoughts on the pull scene. Yeah. Uh, huh. I, I saw the film for the first time this year, and this is easily the. Uh, scene of the film for me uh yeah it's the one i immediately think of when i think of this movie great pick jake wait you're a king's Almost man and you hadn't seen the movie sooner like two years ago i know right That's and i and i live win. 30 and i live 30 minutes away from cam oh, yes. high school with him i should have seen it sooner i i just didn't i'm surprised he didn't hold you at gunpoint so you have to watch this like the week after it came well out. let's be real like the Kingsmen have Jack because of family ties. It's like a universe, you know. You're like you like sororities. Like you're automatically rushed in because you have family. Like that's the only reason Jack's he's a legacy. Um, <laughs> he's a legacy. That's about it. And, and Coho's sister is going to join soon. Uh, anyway, uh, so listen. Um, I think this is the scene to pick from Booksmart. 
Is your opinion a scene? Do I believe a scene should be on the list? Probably not. I don't think the movie's that great. Um, but overall, like, this is the scene. Like, I think she's fantastic, the, how it's shot, everything, the character development. Does this also follow in when she meets up with uh, the other girl and, like, Mom, the whole no, Malala scene happens? No. Okay. That Stay also, if that's a tie... That oh okay cool. Um, overall, yeah, I think this is the scene to pick um, from the movie if you're gonna pick one. So yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Um, I think you know it's a comedy, and this is one of the le- least comedic scenes probably. But in terms of um, like the most well crafted scenes in the movie, this is definitely up there. Like I just love the the way it's it's such a smart way to like have that like sort of heartbreaking moment not really through any dialogue or everything but just like seeing their legs underneath the water that's like a great visual storytelling that i that always gets me and is the sign of a good director who has perhaps gone astray now but um (laughs) at the time a good director but anyway um it's it's a really good scene and yes slip away by perfume genius is an amazing song it was one of my favorite songs from whatever year it was that it came out so definitely check it out all right, uh, Jake, uh, let's hit your number 64. Five. Five? Five. 60, 65. Five. Um, so this is Yikes. I yikes this song from Scott's list last week. Uh, it's The World at Steel from The Worst Person in the World. Uh, definitely. Um, so I didn't know how this happened, but The Worst Person in the World like became my favorite movie like immediately after I, I had seen it. Um, and I went into this not expecting it to be number one i thought i'd like it i didn't know much about it but when i came out of it i was like this is like this is my favorite movie of 2021 i didn't think that was gonna be the case but it was um so thank you paul for that um and this is the best scene in the movie like hands down the movie split up until i think it's like 12 12 uh, shorts or 12 scenes essentially with the epilogue and the uh, prologue something like that but um this is like moment like almost halfway through the movie julie is in a relationship with a, with a guy. He's a he's a cartoonist, and at this point, he's she's met this guy Elvin. I think his name at a Ivan. at a wedding. Ivan, and they sort of have this like unique sort of attraction, but they have their own partners. And halfway through the movie, she just has this sort of like fantasy sequence where everything just stops. Everything like time stays still, and she's moving. She just runs out of her apartment, runs out in the street. Everything's frozen, and she just meets up with um. Ivan, right? That's his name? Ivan? I keep, I don't, I don't uh-huh, know. Yeah. yeah. Ivan, and then they just sort of have a date. They just walk through the park, they just talk, and then you just have this moment. You don't really get much of it, but you just see like this just great sequence just play out. And I believe it's a dream, it's a fantasy sequence. Like she just has this like moment to herself where she just gets to like be free from uh, her boyfriend, but also just have this sort of this fantasy sort of sequence with this guy that she kind of like is starting to really like, uh, like a lot. And just really powerful stuff. And it's really just like, just the way it's made, I really like it. And Joachim Trier just is a filmmaker. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next after this. I know he's made films before, but this is definitely the one that has really piqued my interest in this in this filmmaking. Um, and I just, yeah, uh, just really, really cool scene. And just something that's like the magic of the movies that I'm a big fan of. And just seeing like the medium of film do something that no other medium could really do. And this is uh, a standout scene from the movie. And I had it at 71, I believe. Um, and yeah, it's it's so good. Um, it's a sort of experimental moment in 
Um, well, there's kind of two two sort of experimental scenes in the movie, but in otherwise like straightforward type of movie that you've kind of seen before in terms of the character and the sort of themes it's that are at play. But um, it's it's such a great scene because so much of the movie is like time is getting away from her, right? She's turning thirty. She's like, you know, she doesn't have a, a husband. You know, her she's kind of between jobs. She doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life. She um, is still unfocused at this point in her life, and so yes, this is like the ultimate dream, right? To just be able for someone in her position to just be able to freeze that time, to stop that time from passing. And to just do what you want for a day, which is to go, which in this particular moment is to go and spend the day with Ivan. And just that image of her running, which is, of course, on the poster, um, which I have hanging across from me right now in my uh, car. But, so um, is, is, you know, it's such a euphoric moment in the movie. Like, I, I think, again, especially if this movie hits right in, like, my age bracket. Um, and so I, you know, really relate to the feeling in some regards that she's she's going through and um it's such a beautiful way to capture sort of her desire in that particular moment okay i haven't had a chance to see the movie yet i want to see it. i just haven't yet uh so i watched the scene out of context um and judging it from that um i really liked it because i got from it everything you guys explained through the filmmaking there's almost no dialogue in it and just through what's happening to her, uh, she, you know, I, I, I got the sense, you know, told the story. Um, so I judged it the only way I can that way. I think it was a really solid scene um, in the context of the movie. Who knows? I may hate it. It may suck. Um, but it just stand alone. It's, it's a great, like you said, like, if, you know, if it's like meant to be like almost like a short film, I think it does a really good job of that. Um, Cody and Jack, have either of you seen this movie? And if so, thoughts on this scene? No, I um, muted so that I wouldn't have anything spoiled for me. I've been told this is like the moment of the film, so I just muted. I'm also really concerned. Did he just come back with a backwards cap? Because I'm going to. Leave. <laughs> That's what that I was just going to Like, uh, um, well. okay, thank you for turning that around. I'm about to leave. Um, <laughs> I, there's just a few things. This movie never really hooked for me. Uh, I didn't really. I think this seems okay. Um, I'm just really curious why Coho watches some foreign films on two times speed and some not, and like loves them more. So it's kind of curious. I'm kind of trying to figure that out because this one I don't think you watched, but gave it five stars. But drive my car doesn't yeah, like it. It's actually. <laughs> no, this one's actually good. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Um, just, just checking. How do you determine like how long we need to have like a film breakdown of when he decides to hit the button? Um, but other than that, no, I think the scene for you guys. I'm glad it's in sixties because any higher, I probably would have like cried a little bit. But overall, sure. This is actually slow. Turning thirty is not so bad. Me. Then drive my car. Time is literally not moving in this scene. So oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I fully. As somebody that's seen both and didn't really love either one, I'm so confused. On, yeah, like driving my car is longer, but overall, I think this. That's, that's what I literally oh, think it is. It's, just, it's a three-hour movie. Coho, it took Co it took Coho five times to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to finally understand what Tarantino was going for. So let me tell you, the man's an enigma. Jake, what's your sixty-four? I'm at number 64. Uh, going to Tarantino. Uh, 64 is uh, Mia Overdoses from Pulp Fiction. Uh, this may be my favorite scene. I think it's from the... I mean, it is sort of dark, but like just... 
they come back from the uh, they go back from the Jackrabbit Slim. They they won the dance competition. They're in uh, Mia's uh, yeah, her home. She plays "Girl Will Be a Woman Soon," which is a song that I was obsessed with when I first saw Pulp Fiction. And then she notices in uh, Vincent's jacket the uh, I believe it's coke. She it's she thinks it's cocaine, but it's actually heroin. Uh, yeah. And she uh, overdoses, and it's like the way it's shot, and the way just like Uma Thurman just like just loses it. I just I'm like, oh fuck! And especially since um, oh my god, I'm blanking on. Ving Rhames, his name is Marcellus. someone Marcellus Wallace. He looked like a bitch. Um, and he's been told uh, Vince has been told by Marcellus to like make sure that she's safe and she's fine. And like this is uh, this is a oh shit sort of moment for him. And I don't know how long it is between him realizing that she's overdosed and when she took the heroin, but it's just the moment where it just focuses on Mia's face. <laughs> And you just hear Vincent come out from the bathroom, and then he just like there's a good two seconds where he just like says nothing. He's like Jesus Christ, and then when she's like got all the she's just drooling, he's just like oh fuck me, fuck me, and then he quickly takes him to um, uh, her to Eric, Eric Saltz's um to house, and then it's like we gotta quickly gotta do something, and then he's got the uh, I think it's the adrenaline shot. He's like you got down in a stabbing motion and then that whole sequence like who's gonna do it you give me give me a fucking magic marker book pen magic marker that whole sequence just like the energy of it and how it just rushes you through the whole scene it's like we gotta get her revived or she's gone and just like the tension of her just just between her getting stabbed with the adrenaline it's just like you gotta you gotta do this right you gotta get it you gotta pierce the chest piece it's the whole thing you just you totally get what's going on and when vincent does it and she just immediately comes back up and just, the humorous moment when they go say something she just goes something uh really good just like the little comedic flair at the end just you know all the tension is resolved um and then just the that shot of them in the car as they're driving they just don't say anything and she just looks like a complete mess and uh, just absolutely a masterclass of a scene. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, just a really great scene that I think um, is, it's probably, it's my maybe my favorite scene from Pulp Fiction. Um, just everything about it is just like really, really well done. And it shows why Tarantino is a master of filmmaking. Yeah, um, I love that build up, you know, with him in the bathroom, like talking himself out of, you know, putting the moves on her. And then he comes out like you. You don't see him. It just you just look. Mia, I gotta go. And she's laying there, you know, drool everything. And he's like, ah, oh, he freaks out. And then uh, I love when he's the moment where there's so many like great comedic moments in this when he's when he's dragging her in and that's like you gotta get off my lawn. And he just stops and drops her. And he's like, you know whose wife this is? And you know, she and she just you know you just hear that like that draw that dead weight drop. It's so great. And then, um, you know, the whole interaction between like all the, the chaos in the house and, you know, Lance and his wife, uh, is, which, which Arquette is that? I always forget which one is that. Rosanna. Rosanna. I think I can't keep him straight. Rosanna Arquette, you know, the two of them fighting and yelling. But then they have that scene where he has the, 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 uh, the, the, the needle up and they're zooming in on all the faces and they zoom on her and she is just so into it. Like she's so excited. And then, uh, and then, you know, he finally does it and she's like, that was trippy. Like I, I just love, like just, Everybody is like just like I said, the comedic timing that scene is so good, um, and th that's what Tarantino does so well that he's mixing that like violence and like near death with comedy. Um, so yeah, this is this is a really great scene. Uh, everybody else, I know you all seen Pulp Fiction. Uh, this scene wasn't oh, on funny. your list, was it considered? Um, 
No, it, it it wasn't. I actually spoiler alert. I don't have any Pulp Fiction scenes on my list, which probably a bit of a surprise. Uh, probably should have had one, but it probably wouldn't have been this one. Although it's great. I mean, there's so many great scenes in this movie. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when he's like showing him what to do with the the syringe, and he's like, and then what happens after that? After I stab her, and Eric Soul's just like, I'm kind of curious about that myself. <laughs> um, it's a it's a very funny line. Um, and yeah, just the tension in it is amazing. Um, so it's it's definitely a solid pick. I mean, pretty much any scene from this movie except the pot belly scene would be a good pick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene gone. from Pulp Fiction. This isn't it. Oh, sorry. I was going to mention it, but Michael also mentioned this, the, the Toto song. But overall, it's a overall it's a great scene. It's a great scene. There's a lot you can choose from Pulp Fiction, so that's why I was very like. Now knowing you, there'll be 12 other ones, but for me, I only allowed Max of two, so this is a really good choice. I wish, Cody. I wish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Not enough room for those too much Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, this um, this scene's great. It was briefly considered for my list, uh, among uh, a lot of other scenes from Pulp Fiction, but uh, I didn't Put it on. So uh, maybe I'll have one later. Maybe not. Who knows? Good pick, though. All right. Uh, that was sixty-four. So we're back up to sixty-seven with Scott. Scott, what you say? Right. It's another Tarantino scene. Although I think this is probably going to be a yikes. This is the opening scene from Inglorious Bastards. Yikes. Yeah, I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, 66, uh, I have a scene from Boogie Nights. This is the drug deal scene from Boogie Nights. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> actually, that right there sums up what makes the scene amazing. So I appreciate the, the banner. But yes, um, this is one of the climactic scenes of the movie when, um, when Eddie and Todd and I forget who else, but they've gone over to this um i guess john c Riley's character as well um they've gone over to this drug dealer's house played by alfred molina and they're gonna sell him some not actual cocaine but what he thinks is cocaine and they're gonna get some money because they're struggling because their music video has shockingly bombed but um it turns into just like this chaotic like truly chaotic like set piece almost um where it just keeps getting increasingly tense even though like nothing is really sort of changing about the scene. Um, you have this Chinese guy in the corner, just shooting off fireworks, firecrackers the entire time, um, which is just, again, just increasing the tension. Um, even though he's not like, he's not aiming them at anyone. He's not trying to hurt anyone. It's just like the constant sound of the firecrackers going off in the back, just uh, amps it up. Then you have Alfred Molina being like a psycho. And in one, and one, uh, regard being very like gregarious and friendly and everything but also like just something there seems he seems to have a screw loose and then of course yeah you have the music which um one of the great things about this movie is like you always have like the super sounds of the 70s going on the whole time even when there's like dark stuff happening in the movie like it it gets very sort of it's a it's a you know great contrast throughout the entire movie that also really captures the time period um, and here, this is like the perfect example. It starts off with Sister Christian, right? And then it works its way up to Jesse, Jesse's girl when, it, uh, you know, stuff starts going down. And then, you know, it finally all kicks off when Todd, Thomas Jane's character, um, you know, is like not content with the money that 
he's handed over and he wants the money that's in the safe. And then, you know, he pulls out the gun and, um, you know, it turns into a, to a gunfight and Alfred Molina chases them out of the, the house and everything. But yeah, Alfred Molina, it's like one of the all time great one scene performances in a movie. Um, he just shows up and just like uh, owns this scene in a, in a movie where like, it's easy for people to get like lost in the ensemble because it's so large, but yeah, it's, this scene is everything that Paul Thomas Anderson does like so well. Um, the like blending of comedy and tension is just so like masterful. Yeah. I love Melina in this. He's so good in that robe and just that mustache <laughs> and like getting all excited about the song. Um, but yeah, just kind of like I, what I was saying about the Pulp Fiction scene, um, it's kind of crazy that, you know, they're getting, I, this isn't the, the low moment, but they're getting very close to his, you know, their low moment here. And, um, you know, it's getting, the movie's getting really dark. And then you put in this scene that is just like straight up hilarious. You put this character in and there's all this crazy stuff going on. And like you said, there, there, you know, there's robbery and there's drugs and there's shooting and it should be like a very like scary, dark scene. Um, but with Melina's performance and with the music and everything else, it's great. It's hilarious. Um, so yeah, this is one of the first things I think about when I think about Boogie Nights. And Boogie Nights is probably about, still my favorite PTA. Uh, everybody else on the Alfred Molina scene from Boogie Nights. Uh, so I originally had this on my top 100 and then through moving stuff around and having other scenes that I wanted to add on, I had to remove the scene. Unfortunately, I obviously I love Alfred Molina for many, many reasons, but one specific reason, uh, you know, I have to say it, but you know, he had he had four tentacles on Anyway, um, but this is a great scene. Did he play David Jones? <laughs> yes, yeah. Everyone thought Bill Monahy did, but it was actually. Isn't my octopus uh, teacher? Yeah. My octopus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, yeah, this is a great scene. And this is like, if we ever had like an Oscar category for like one scene stealers, like Alfred Molina would win in 97 because it's just like just a fantastic way you just even if you know who he is and you just watching the movie and not knowing that he's in it because i don't think the movie's really advertised with him in it you just see him show up and you go oh shit it's the guy from raiders of the lost Ark." Really and then he has the whole scene he just sings jesse's girl and it's just like yeah uh just great stuff and then that whole shootout that happens um i really wanted to add uh, have it on my top 100 but there were just other scenes like you know i had to include another spider-man scene so you know it's just like things just happen you know you have to just kind of deal with it but yeah no this is a this is a fantastic scene so um i've seen 30 minutes of this movie uh i keep meaning to go back to it it's just my, i don't know why i didn't finish it i just didn't however i so i didn't get to this scene but I can say with 100% certainty that that scene is better than anything in Hulk or Venom. So... Wow. Well, I just had to get like a, just a jab at me there? Well, this is fine. Yeah. Okay. Catch well, roasted. Jack's like I'm just... Jack isn't the Jack on the panel anymore, so he's feeling he can throw some... Uh, yeah, like... <laughs> He acts like the last top 100. He didn't have Hugh Jackman in bad education at 38. Listen, he sits there and just like... The Lord of the Rings he sits there on the... He just starts with, I've only seen 30 minutes of this film. Haven't seen it and goes on to a rant. Shout out to Move Along. Good Lord. Um, my thing is, I've seen this movie one time. I really need to watch it again. I liked it the first time I watched it. I just have not watched it since. Um, so I, re I replayed part of the scene while you were talking and I know exactly what you're talking about but uh, 
haven't seen it in a long time. So good choice from a PTA that I that I like. The only PTA that's like that. You like that? I like a lot. I like only like four or five. <laughs> Just not right. ones. All right, Scott, we got next. <laughs> Uh, this might be another yikes. It's uh, the opening of Scream. Ah, uh, yikes. All right. Uh, and my 64, we're moving along here. Uh, one of the most iconic scenes in film history, probably. It is Lloyd Dobler oh, holding, Jack the will probably have it. holding the boombox from Say Anything. Oh. Um, yeah, one of my favorite movies maybe like the quintessential teen romance movie to me. I know Kirk hates it, so I'm probably going to catch some flag here. But um, anyway, the scene is iconic for a reason. This is one of those, right? It pops up on the lists like Cody's been talking about the whole time. But when you actually watch the movie, it's like, I get it. Like it, it earns it. Um, it earns its spot as being iconic. This is basically when Diane has dumped Lloyd um, at her father's behest and he doesn't really know what to do with himself. His, you know, buddies are like, "You got to go be a man, right? You gotta, you gotta get her back." And so he goes to her house, you know, in the middle of the night. Not, not quite the middle of the night because it's still kind of light outside. But holds his boombox up, playing "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel. You know, perfect song for the moment. Like I, I don't know how long like Cameron Crowe, um, you know thought about what song to pick for that scene but he got it right and honestly he obviously knows music because he wrote for rolling stone so he he may have you know he may have nailed it but it's not a surprise that he nailed it basically i guess is what i'm saying um but it's just an amazing moment of like you know these they're teenagers they're teenagers and like the only way that um he can think to express his feelings at that time is the song and the boombox and it's such a great pure moment uh of like I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm coming to get you back. Like this is this is me. I'm I'm putting it all out there, um, and it's hard not to be charmed by that. I mean, I Lloyd is one of my favorite film characters in general, um, and this is just like one of the quintessential romantic scenes to me. So it had to make my list. Kill him, Kirk. Right. Well, <laughs> again, we're talking scenes. Yeah. Not movie. Oh, God. So I won't go into detail what a pathetic loser Lloyd is and how he's going to ruin that poor girl's <laughs> life. Um, but this scene, it is iconic, but like it's been a while since I watch it. Like, doesn't she just kind of ignore him and he goes away? Like, this isn't the moment where like she's like, oh, it comes out like they get back together. Like, it just happens and then nothing happens after that. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, they did. Obviously, they do eventually get back. Yeah, it's not. Imme- it's not immediate. Yes. Yeah. But it's like it's obviously starting her back on the path. To sure. Yeah. So I mean, him. yeah. It's the it's the iconic '80s. You know, that's the, when you when you watch a uh, something about '80s movies, you're going to see this clip in there. That's fine. Um, again, I, I we're not we're I, I'm trying to discourage you guys from getting too deep in the movies in general. We're just talking about the scene, so I'm not going to go out and say anything. Right. Anybody have anything to say about the uh, the boombox scene? I haven't seen it. Definitely iconic. Definitely like understand if you have like a special grasp of this movie, I understand why this is the pick. Um, I haven't seen saying anything, anything in a while, but again, you mentioned boom. if you said think of a scene with boomba, it's the instant one that I would go to. Like it's the moment. Like so, it has that pull factor, and I think Star it's a Trek good 4? scene overall. The bus scene on Star Trek Four. Close. That'd be second. That'd be second. 
Um, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the scene. Um, In Your Eyes is like one of my favorite songs, like ever. Uh, that was in my top five most listened to songs last year on Spotify. Um, my my friend Andrew owns the the, the album, so so it was cool. Like listen to that. Um, but yeah, I mean the scene's like iconic. That shot of of him just holding up the boombox is just like is part of film history. Um, so so much so that Deadpool two had to like ruin the scene by referencing it. Um, but outside that, yeah, no, it's a good scene. Good song. All right. Uh, was that your, that was your 64? Yeah, we're moving back, Jack. All right, Jack. Top three for the night. 63. Right. My 63 is I Believe in America from The Godfather. No yikes. I can't <laughs> wait to see this butcher job. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. Uh, easily one of the greatest scenes uh, easily one of the greatest opening scenes of all time to a film. Uh, I first time I saw this film was uh, was in the hospital, and this uh, and I finally had time to sit down and watch this movie. And this scene plays, and I was in from the first second. It's brilliant. Uh, the introduction to Vito Corleone as a character is perfect. Uh, I can't talk highly enough about the scene that's been talked to death especially uh on the show so i won't say too much about it and uh other than yeah great uh great great moment and i haven't seen the godfather a whole lot in my life but this scene still is uh i can i can watch the scene in any moment it's great all right uh that's textbook pandering Uh, no, this scene... Uh, it's a pandering shit show. <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm really surprised. Well, I mean, I'm surprised other people, certain people here didn't have it even not pandering because it's a good scene. Um, this is pandering. If it's pandering, it's done for the greater good. Uh, no, I think this scene is just a perfect way to open this movie. Um, with, you have the character who's like explaining why he's trying to make his way in America, the American way, but ultimately that doesn't work. And he has to go back to the old way of doing things to get the results he wants. And I think that perfectly foreshadows, you know, Michael's journey and the family's journey. And uh, just that idea of, you know, who Vito is, you know, is like, you know, we're, we're, you know, that, that is not justice. Your, 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 your daughter is still alive. We're not murderers, despite what this Undertaker thinks. Um, I think it's yeah, it's just such a great way to introduce this world in a world in a, in a movie with what in a movie with uh, you know you know a cast of thousands. You know, you you go from this right to that huge wedding scene with all those people. I think this is a, a great small way to tell you everything you're going to be getting with this movie, with these stories, with these characters. Um, Cody, do you want to go first? The last you should have a lot to say. Yeah, yes, I want to go first. Did you pick the scene or did Jack pick the scene? Because you just talked about more intelligent, like about why the scene should be on this list than the man himself. All he did was, oh, this scene's been talked about a lot. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste a lot of time. I'm just gonna tell you to, and then offers it up like that. That is a, this, this is Kirk's, this is Kirk's pick over your pick. You have, I don't even know if you've seen this scene because you didn't talk about it at all. Second, Kirk, I want this on the record. No, you're done talking. We're done. We're done speaking, Jack. Emotional, damn it. Second on this thing, Kirk, I want this on the record. Do you remember when he started this list? He said 
And I quote that I will only have one scene per movie. And he picked this is the one scene from The Godfather. You know and I know that is crazy. That is absolutely. I picked two scenes and I couldn't even have this one there. This scene sets everything up. It's a beautiful introduction. I would have given him a full pass if he actually talked about it passionately. You're the one that talked about it passionately. This is no longer his pick. He has no claim on this. That's like picking, like, you pick a great scene for a movie and be like, oh, God, well, for example, we didn't talk about the opening of the thing, and he goes, oh, this has been talked about, but I put it there. What? No, no happiness, no joy of putting it, and he put it at 63. The only scene from The Godfather is at 63. What a joke, Jack. You know what? I know you Googled the list. You should have at least arranged it better, because this is trash. Watch the scene before you talk about it. Could you guys imagine if Cody was actually feeling feisty tonight? What would have happened? (laughs) (laughs) Jack pisses me off to an like a scary degree. Does anyone remember when I said I wasn't going to talk much because I wasn't feeling well, or did I not say that? Jack, it's why'd you sign up for the list? You haven't talked all four episodes. All right. It's, okay, it's, Scott. It's go a ahead. good scene. It's not crazy to have it on the list. I, if even if you're just picking one scene, I don't think it's crazy to have because I think you could pick eighty percent of the scenes from The Godfather. And honestly, that's why I struggled. I pick obviously I had one earlier in the episode that got yikes, but I didn't want to just pick like five scenes from The Godfather. So I had to be choosy. I picked the one that I picked earlier. Um, I certainly think this is. I agree with what everyone says here. It's a perfect way to set up the movie set up the character of, of Vito. Um, and like, yeah, just like some of the, some of the lines are just like ingrained in my head forever. Just like they beat her like an animal, just like the delivery and everything. Like an yeah. Uh, and now I have the wedding music stuck in my head. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a great um, This is a great scene. Like, I think, yeah, I kind of disagree with Cody. There are 20 scenes that I would be you could you could pick any of them and be like, this is the best scene in Godfather. And you could definitely like argue why it is. There are many, many, many great scenes from The Godfather. There's a reason why it's one of the greatest movies. There's a fact. correct. There is a correct, and if well, there's an argument, there's a there's correct. Many great scenes. You can't be uh, like, oh, this scene's okay. This scene is great. This is one of the greatest openings ever. Like, if we were doing top 100 greatest scenes of all time, we're doing just completely objective, no favorites, I would in- absolutely include this scene on my top 100. But we're doing favorites. There's a lot of scenes that I really, really like, a lot more because of other reasons. That's not just the object objectivity of the best scenes of all time. Um, but it's a great scene. I do think that some of the best scenes or a great scene can just be two people talking and it can be just about a story. Like a film telling a story in the movie. I think that's really cool. And I just like the idea of that being the opening to this movie. And I just love the, the first lines is I believe in America. Like that's sort of the whole mantra of the Godfather trilogy in the sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a great scene. And I do like the scene a lot. Like it, I don't know if it's my favorite scene from the Godfather, but it's definitely up there. All right. Uh, Cody, pull it up with your 63. Okay. Um, I my sixty three is uh, Patty screaming Moby Dick in Warrior. Um. So this is overall this is like has a personal connection with me more than anything. Um. Basically, um, the Warrior of two brothers basically 
pushed out like their dad was not a dad figure. Uh, dad, very substance abuse, uh, did not treat them the best. Basically, there's hints or whatever, a physical like violence towards them. Um, and he is on a recovery, like he's on a recovery path to bring that back. Um, he is very, uh, um, he like shows up, uh, he shows up like at one of the brother's houses, like, those are my grandkids. Can I talk to him? Those doors have been closed. You know, you can write a letter, you can do everything. He starts to build back this with Tommy, which is played by Tom Hardy. He's trying to build back this relationship with him, but Tom wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Overall, they end up staying together, like at this title, like this fight, basically inside the hotel together as he's living with them. Um, Tommy's woken up to Patty screaming, basically Moby Dick. Um, is one of his things. He's like audiobooks, listening to stuff, and he's you screw you get that you stop that ship. Yeah, uh, um, I don't know the exact curse word he uses, but he like basically is cussing and screaming in the veins, Nick Nolte like you know screaming. And Tom Tommy consoles him, holds him while he's going through it. He breaks his sobriety. He's completely hammered. He's completely drunk, and he actually consoles him and holds him like. As he calms down, I think it's a brilliant scene. I think it's absolutely one of the like most like an underrated scene from this movie, and deals with such like a like emotional level of like somebody. If you, I think for somebody that's seen substance abuse and has dealt with stuff myself, to see that level and how he plays it, I think is a brilliant performance. So yeah. Yeah, been a while since I saw the saw Warrior. Uh, this isn't the scene I remember. This isn't the scene between these two characters I remember. Um, rewatching it is a powerful scene, especially like you said within, within that context. Um, but I, like I said, I think there's just scenes like character moments and relationship moments in this movie I like a little better. Uh, everybody else on who's seen Warrior and who has comments on the scene? I haven't seen the movie. Still haven't seen it either. I've seen this movie. Um, I think it's fantastic. Um, I know there's a list of movies that get sort of beaten to death in the community, but this is one where I'm absolutely okay being talked about forever because I do think this is a fantastic movie. Um, and I do love Nick Nolte. Uh, this one specific reason why. Maybe later down the list for some other reason. But uh, he is just like really great in this scene, and there's a reason why he got the supporting actor nod uh, for Warrior. Um, and I just also just like the whole just like that sort of like he's trying to be better. Like the whole movie for him is redemption, and then this is sort of him where he's just like I can't like do this. And finally, they he has that moment with um, with Tom Hardy, which is like really beautiful. So yeah, I totally get this being on Cody's list. All right. Uh, Jake, give us your number 63. Uh, so it's been a hot second since we've had a uh, Spider-Man scene uh, on my list. So we're going to go back to that well. And I'm going with um, just a really small, simple scene that is Uncle Ben's death from the first Spider-Man. Um, I know it's pretty short. It's only like two minutes long. But the whole build-up from Peter letting the carjacker, he, he lets Dennis Carradine, the uh, carjacker, away from the uh, wrestling uh stadium because he didn't get the money that he wanted he wanted one to three grand he gave him 100 bucks he lets him go this whole moment where he just like you see it in his eyes where he's like the anger and lets him go he goes thanks goes down the elevator and then he says the exact same thing to the uh the wrestling guy that he said to him i missed the part where that's my problem 
that's great recurring line where it's just like, yeah, now I feel something. I feel a little bit better because of what just happened. And as he's going to wait for Uncle Ben, he sees a bunch of, he sees a crowd of people, goes through it and then realizes it's Uncle Ben and he's been shot. And then you have a whole moment where he's just like, tries to get his attention, says Uncle Ben. And they had that whole argument before in the car where he's like, I know I'm not your father. And then Peter's like, stop pretending to be. Like They have that whole argument. And that really like hurt Uncle Ben. You see in his eyes. And then this moment where he doesn't really get to apologize. He doesn't get to like, you know, that, that closure that he gets to have. And all Uncle Ben can say is Peter. And you can see him just crying and just like about to fade. And then he just like, the arm just drops. And I just fucking just, I lose it at that scene. Um, when I was a kid, that just, I just, just brutally attacked me uh, emotionally. Um, and the Danny Hoffman score really helps with that and just like the strings and then like the, just the stops. And, and then that's when like, ah, it's mean to death, but that Toby's face when he's like crying is like kind of mean, but I think it's really powerful and it's brutal. And then he goes from sorrow to anger and then hatred when he realizes that the carjack has been like, is in Uncle Ben's car and he's been on whatever street. And then that turns, the music changes and he just starts getting up and he just walks away. And that's it. Absolutely powerful. Just like an emotional scene that really gets to me. Um, I had to include this scene just for obvious reasons, but it's uh, just very powerful for me. Yeah. Um, it's hard not to think of this scene and just think of Maguire ugly crying. Um, that kind of puts a damper on the whole thing, but no, like it is a good, I mean, for the fact that, you know, for in a Spider-Man movie, I mean, used to anyway, you don't anymore, but there are certain beats you have to hit to tell the Spider-Man story. And I think it does this well. Uh, unfortunately, Spider-Man 3 kind of just ruins like, oh, it wasn't that guy after all. It no context of Spider-Man 3. We're just looking it, at this. It completely destroys Spider-Man's motivation for being Spider-Man. Does, like, monumentally fuck up this whole yeah. movie, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, like I said, as as far as Spider-Man scenes go, this one's the, this one is that bad. Uh, everybody else on Uncle Ben's death, because I know you all see this one. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's one of the saddest movie deaths in, in film history. And we're it's going to be disrespected by the, the bots entering the chat right now. I mean, come on, read the room, say, guys. Yeah. We're talking about a great man dying here. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it is. I mean, Cliff Robertson, again, is great in like a very short amount of screen time. Um, definitely, you know, one of those... Um, roles where you make the most of a short amount of screen time and yeah like jake said the most brutal part of it is knowing that the last real conversation that they have was a fight in which peter said something that he regrets and you know uncle ben was genuinely wounded by it um and you just don't get that sort of sincerity and heart and emotion and 95 percent of comic book films yeah, no, this scene's great. Uh, great moment from the trilogy, and uh, probably not the moment I'd pick from the first film, but still solid choice. So good job. Said more about that than Godfather. Um, anyways, um, Uncle, um, Uncle Ben's death, great, uh, great choice. Um, again, I didn't have to include any Spider-Man. Um, I do consider the two first of the Raimi trilogy is like some of my favorite movies of all time. But with Jake, I don't have to worry about that. This is like everything that plays into that scene and everything like the the stuff that leads into the scene, I think of and stop trying to be the stopping the car and then realizing and then the the final moments. It's just as a kid wrecked me. 
as an adult on the right given day wrecks me. So uh, great choice, great choice on Uncle Ben stuff. Like, can't have Spider Man without somebody dying. Like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. All right. Um, that takes us to Scott and Scott's number sixty three. Talking of scenes that wreck me, uh, number sixty three, the ending from the perks of being a wallflower. Um, yikes, no yikes, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie was very important to me when it came out, as again, I think it was to a lot of people in my age range. Um, and though I don't watch it as much or talk about it as much, or it probably doesn't mean as much to me today as it did then, it will always be one of my favorite movies because of that. Uh, I, I will just, I will never lose that because. Um, of what it meant to me at the time and uh yeah this scene i, I watched it today it still hits um this is basically after charlie has just had like his nervous breakdown and um and you know he's he's overcome it he you know was in the hospital he's overcome it now um he's doing a lot better sam and um why can't patrick <laughs> i blanked on ezra miller's name for a second just probably tried to erase them from my mind but um they've come home and uh you know they go to king's and they are sitting there and sam says oh you know my my roommate has the best taste in music we found the tunnel song ignoring of course the plot hole they should have known what the song was the entire movie um then they they get in the the truck and they drive through the tunnel and um and you know the song is is playing with it's not quite playing you don't hear it yet but charlie has that monologue as they're going through the the tunnel that i think is just very beautifully written like about you know perfectly encapsulating like being a teenager wanting to experience these moments as they are happening you know someday they are just going to be memories but now they are like actually happening and these experiences are real and you want to savor that while while you know you are still feeling those feelings so deeply um and you know it just concludes with this is you know it's a dark movie it's a sad movie at times but it can con, uh, concludes with a very euphoric and hopeful moment of him you know extending his arms as they come out of the tunnel uh and the song kicks in the intro of the song kicks in it's just like one of those hell yeah moments um and of course the best part of all kirk is that they're exiting the tunnel towards pittsburgh so there you have it yeah, I don't know how you didn't get the pandering clip for that. That's textbook pandering. Uh, yeah, going through you know the four pit tunnels that those are corpse. I've been th- I've been through it. Yeah, yeah. I've been through did the tunnel. You, did you do? Did you play the song? No, because I didn't realize that I was going through it until after I got out. And we should like, oh, no. done that. Hey, Todd, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I believe. Next it. time you come to Todd, we'll do that. I did. I will. I did yeah. it for Spence. I'll do it for you too. Okay. Um, but no. Jesus Christ. But um, no, it's a great scene. I think going back to I, I, I and I don't know why this clicks with me a little bit more. But I feel like what we, you know, what you guys are saying about the pool scene from books where I think this kind of has the same feel of like him coming into his own and that you know experiencing that freedom. So I think it's great. I think it's a great ending and a great callback to the earlier scene uh, where it was him watching somebody and like just his, you know, kind of being enamored with her. But I think it's not, it's just the whole thing is like, he's not just enamored with her. He's enamored with her, the way she's able to live her life. And now he's able to do that too. So I think mm-hmm. like, just like everything he's been through for him to have that victory. Um, again, 
coming out one of the most the greatest cityscape skyline in America. I'll say it. Great scene. Everybody else on Perks Will Be the Wallflower. Haven't seen it. Sorry, Spence. Sorry, Scott. I'm shocked. Um, I've seen the movie, but it was in on the background, so I never really like paid too much attention to the movie. I, I was it was a bit of a disservice, I'm not gonna lie. Um I do want to like actually watch the movie. Um but like yeah, um, that's I wish the movie lived up to the beautiful skyline of Pittsburgh, of how brilliant that city is, and the people. <laughs> I just don't. I don't believe the movie deserves like Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is too good for this movie. So overall, um, never clicked for me. I think the scene is good overall, but overall, the movie just. You're right. I was the wrong age group for this. I think it just didn't click for me. I was a senior in high school, so I could not have been a more perfect age for this movie at the time. True. All right, uh, Jack, number sixty-two. All right, my number sixty-two, uh, Scott. I'm sorry I misunderstood uh, what scene you were talking about when you brought it up, but it's not the night scene. It's the jazz club from Collateral. Oh, okay. Uh, I, yeah, that was nice. My apologies. Go back and talk about my scene. Yeah, if you want to talk about your scene, go ahead. Oh, do you want me to go ahead and do it? Yeah, go ahead and do yours now, Scott. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I had, I had the, the nightclub scene. This is where they actually go into where, where the, you know, everyone's dancing and Vincent goes in there. Um, and yeah, I just think the scene, I didn't, I didn't rewatch it because I wasn't prepared, but, um, I, I think the scene is like a masterclass in editing and sound design, like the, the music that is constantly playing throughout the scene, like the sound mixing and editing, um, again, just kind of adds to the chaos that is going on in the scene. And there's so many people and Vincent is like this calculating killer, obviously, but, um, you know, he's, he's in the midst of chaos. And finally, when the shooting starts, it's like, what is going to happen here? Because there's all these people, they're all trying to get away. It's it's just completely frenetic. Um, but Michael Mann does such a great job of keeping you in the moment, like helping you understand where everyone is, what's going on. Um, it's a it's a brilliant set piece. And again, from a technical perspective, like it's it's flawless. All right. And I, I have to apologize because I was confused about the scenes too. Um, so I didn't rewatch it because I, uh, Jake, which one are so you yikes? I guys? had the Jet, the Miles Davis scene. I think Jack okay. and I had right. the yeah, same scene. So, so, okay. Yeah. Um, did anybody else want to say anything about Scott's scene? Um, I like the scene. It's definitely like the best shootout, uh, like one of the best shootouts ever. Um, I think John Wick's maybe like just over it, but like this, yeah, it's a really great scene. I think it's got Ready, Set, Go. I can't remember the song. Um, William Orbit, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what he's called. Um, uh, yeah, just really just like, yeah, the, he, Michael Mann just understands like sound design and, and editing, like, like almost no other filmmaker, um, uh, really fantastic stuff. And just the way that it doesn't feel showy in the film sort of sense, like it feels really grounded in the sense that, I mean, Tom Cruise is an expert when it comes to action scenes and the way he's able to just shoot and feels real calculated and the way an actual killer would actually be in real life. He really like just captures that sort of essence. Um, so yeah, I think this is a great action scene. Yeah, no, this scene's great. Uh, one of the best scenes in the film, though, the scene I picked is the one that I, I prefer. Uh, so then do I just talk about that one now? 
No, because it's Yates that one. No, uh, sorry, I, no, Jack Yates Jack it Yates it earlier it. today. Because it was yeah. my 68. Okay, all right, okay, good. Okay, I'm sorry, they're good, Jack, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, this scene is brilliant. Uh, I'm not... I won't talk too long about this one either, but uh, Tom Cruise, this is this is the moment where you get to finally sit down uh, with Tom Cruise. Like he doesn't just go for, uh, he doesn't just do his job right away. He actually sits down like Max uh, talks him to and or, uh, asks him to and, uh, and talks to the person that he's supposed to kill. And he makes him a deal uh, where if he answers a question correctly, then he'll let the guy live. And... Uh, and the back and forth between Tom Cruise and the other guy whose name escapes me at the moment is really, thank you. Uh, fantastic moment. Uh, Jake, you can take it away from here. Um, yeah, this is, I thought when I, when I rewatched this movie uh, this year and when this scene happened, I thought this is the best scene in the movie. Uh, it's the second best scene in the movie. We'll get to the best scene later, maybe next week, I think. Um, but this is just perfect in the sense that Vincent at this point has killed two people and Max is like, just like distraught over just like what's going on in the situation that he's in. And you think, oh, okay, this is just like a sign of brevity, like just going to a jazz club, just gonna listen to nice music. And Vincent's telling him like improvisational, just like the way jazz is. And you think, oh, he's just like, he's a big fan. And it really like, it it leans into it like a sense of comfort in the idea of the, oh, they're just going to hang out. And he's talking to the, the owner of the jazz club, which is Barry Shabaka Henry, he's playing the trumpet. And they're having this whole talk about Miles Davis. And he has this story where he's just like, yeah, Miles came in. And then I, and then someone came up and said like, hey, can I play with you? And he's like, get your ass down and just like, tell me when you're ready. And then talks about this whole story about how he played with Miles Davis and all the word he said was cool, which didn't mean great. It just meant not ready. So find me when you get ready. And he tells this whole story of how he got drafted and then this whole situation. And then he just, then Tom Cruise just goes, I got to tell the people in Kula Khan and Cartagena. And then Barry Shavaka Henry's just like his shift in character. He realizes, oh, wait a minute. And we don't get the full backstory and what's going on. We just know that something had happened. And then that just shifts. The camera starts moving. And Max at this point still has no idea what's going on. But then he slowly realizes, oh, wait a minute. This is another hit. And then he's like Jack was saying, he asks, I'm going to ask you a jazz question. Okay. And tells me like, how did, where did uh, Miles Davis learn music? And then he has this whole, he's like, I know everything about Miles Davis. And then like his father was a dentist and then he went to Juilliard. And then he says something, I can't remember the exact specific detail, but then at that point you think it's right. Like he just knows everything. And Max is like, yeah, he got it right. And then Max, and then Vincent just shoots him like three times in the head with the silencer. And then he says like, you just mentioned one small thing that was just wrong. That wasn't accurate. And that was it. And it almost feels like Vincent was always going to kill him anyway um but he just needed he just wanted a reason he just wanted to see what 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 he would say um and it's just like just a perfect scene that just completely comes out of nowhere in the way that the rest of the movie plays out it's just like you think this is just a scene for comfort but no it just goes somewhere else completely um this is just yeah, fantastic um this is my favorite michael mann movie and i'm going to have this so much on the And I apologize, guys. Um, just I was confused about what scenes we were talking about today, so I didn't we watch either of these. It's been a while mm -hmm. since I see this movie, so I really can't say much. But um, Scott and Scott, you had another scene for this movie. Cody, you have so far that none. What are your thoughts on this scene? It's great. Um, yeah, this is probably like my, my would have been my second pick from the movie. 
um, yeah, just really embodies the ruthlessness of Vincent, of Tom Cruise's character. Um, and the slow buildup really makes the scene, uh, you know, as a contrast to mine, where it's just, you know, frenetic again, just constant noise and action and energy going on. I need to revisit this movie. I haven't seen it in a while. That's Michael Mann. Um, nope. Yeah. But, um, uh, but I, I, well, yeah, clearly you like people in a porta potty. Um, that tells us a lot. Um, uh, one scene, overall, one scene. uh, Oh, people don't forget. Um, yes, but uh, the jazz club is when he described it is exactly what came back to me from this movie. The first uh, Scott one didn't right away. So I think correct. Um, but I'm surprised that Jake had this lower than Jack because Jake was more passionate about it. It's weird. Um, but anyway, we'll move on. All right, Cody, uh, what is your number 62? Uh, I don't know how to describe this, but it's the dinner scene from Sicario. The ending, basically. Um, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character goes into the house. Uh, this scene is very... If you have not seen this movie, I suggest definitely not listening. Because um, um, it kind of like gives away the entire thing of Sicario. Um but basically, Benicio del Toro goes into the the man's house. Um, I I can't quite remember like the relation. Like he's the leader of the like the cartel like thing, and he's to hunt down. I think he's responsible for uh, something that was maybe a little bit better, like killing his family or something yeah, associated with that. Wife and daughter. Wife and daughter. So he basically comes in and guns down people inside the house, um, and then. Then the dinner scene basically takes place. He shows up with a gun. His two kids, his wife and him are there. And he's like, no, eat, eat. Like, don't stop. Just continue your family dinner. And like this, the thing on Sicario is, I think it's just brilliant, is the suspense it's able to create. Like the uncomfortable, like can't hardly breathe watching the movie on certain parts. And this is like the most, like especially if you have kids or anything, it's one of the hardest scenes to watch. But when I describe it, you have to have it. So basically, he sits down and he's having this conversation with the guy and telling him, Joe, just enjoy your life. Just keep going. Like, nothing's happening. But he's got a gun pointed at him and his kids. And his kids and them are having conversations. As the conversation goes, at one point, he just, you hear three bullets. You just see the gun, boom, boom, boom. And the, his wife and two kids fall at the table and he kills both. And, like, he keeps it until he finally ends him. And he reveals everything in the story. I just think it's absolutely just brilliant, uncomfortable. Like I think it's just an amazing, amazing part of that movie. Um, there's another scene from Sicario that I considered, but when I boiled it down, this is the one that makes me the most like pit of my stomach, just uncomfortable. And it's the way he shoots it, and the way not over violence, not over it, just in your face, like brilliant. So uh, yeah, no brainer dinner scene from Sicario. Yeah, this is like a great chickens coming home to roost scene. Uh, like the lead up where he's walking through. I love how he's like shooting the like bodyguards and he walks through the kitchen and the one servant's there and they just kind of look at each other and he she just, she just stands there, doesn't say a word and he just walks by her and then he goes out to the, the where they're eating uh, and then, you know, he sits down and my favorite moment in the scene is when because you know he says you know they speak in english because the kids don't understand english but the uh the husband you know the, the cartel leader and his wife do 
Uh, so they're talking and the guy's saying, no, the guy's trying to talk, you're basically trying to talk him out, out of it. He's like, you know, do you think it's going to be your wife, bring your wife back? And, uh, Benicio Torres says, don't forget my daughter. As soon as he says that the wife breaks, she starts crying. Like she figured it out, she knows what's happening. The, the, the husband, the, he thinks he's getting it. He thinks his family's safe. But as soon as he says my daughter, it clicks for the wife and she just starts crying. And then, you know, it's like, you know, and then, it, it, and he's, you know, he's like, not in front of my boys. And he, like, he thinks, okay, I got to take my medicine here, but my family's safe. You just hear that pop, pop, pop. And you hear the bodies drop. And the guy's like shocked, like he couldn't. Because at first I, th- I thought that he knew that they were all dead. But when they all get shot, he's like literally surprised. He's like really surprised that he did that. And then he's like, go ahead and finish your meal. And he just pops them. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so hard because you realize like what, Del Toro's character has been through, but at the same time, it's like he's going to kill these three innocent people, and you know, it just you're so conflicted watching it because you know, like, what would you, what would I do in that situation? You know, how would I feel? You know, it, it's so, it, it's so, like, you know, what he's doing wrong, but you understand fully why he's doing it, and it's almost like one of those things where, like I said, just chickens coming home to roost. Um, so yeah, real powerful scene. Uh, everybody, anybody else got comments on this one? Yeah, this scene is fantastic. Uh, one of my favorite scenes from the film. However, there's at least one or two more that I like more than that, and we may see those later. So, good pick, Cody. Um, this is a movie that's been on my rewatch list for a long time because when it first came out, I was very mixed on it. Um, and I'm not really sure why, because I like pretty much all of Denis Villeneuve's other movies, so I feel like it's one where I could have a change of heart. I just don't re- remember too much about it to comment on it, to be honest. Um, I like this scene. I like the movie. I haven't seen it since the cinemas. Uh, weirdly enough, it was still, I saw this movie on the last day of high school. Uh, so that's how I remember watching this movie. But I haven't seen it since then, so I can't really comment much. But this is a great scene. I do remember that. Uh, just very brutal movie as well. Just this whole movie just does not uh, leave anything uh, to the imagination. All right, Jake, uh, 62 for you. Uh, I had a question for everyone. Uh, what's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Uh, Yikes. Coin toss infamy. Figure, yeah. All right, Scott, you're 62? All right, probably not, the scene, probably not the scene that most people would pick from this movie, but it's actually my favorite scene from the movie. I picked the library scene from Philadelphia. Um. You know, there's one other scene that I think is a little bit more of a standout here. But I watched this movie for the first time finally this year, um, and I thought it was great. I think it definitely lives up to the hype. Um, And this scene, I love – again, I love scenes where a lot is going on under the surface apart from what is being said. That's definitely this scene. You know, Tom Hanks, Andrew is in the library. He's requested a bunch of books about HIV, about AIDS, and one of the library attendants comes to bring – him the books and you know it becomes clear that tom hanks is suffering from hiv and um the library attendant is kind of like are you sure you don't want to you know go in a private room and he's like no uh and you know we get a bunch of shots of like the other people in the library looking really uncomfortable um being around him um and then we just have denzel washington's character And what is sort of underscoring the whole scene is that he, too, has been experienced his own form of ostracism in a way, right, as a black man. Um, And 
so that the similar feelings he recognizes, you know, the same sort of thing going on with the way that people are treating um, Tom Hanks's character. And so he comes to the rescue, so to speak, and, you know, strikes up a conversation with him that kind of scares everyone else off. And, um, and, you know, they, they uh, proceed to have a conversation because up until this point, they've kind of been at odds with each other. Um, but this is kind of the moment where, they start to mutually respect each other and it leads to the relationship that they have over the course of the movie. But just again, that under the surface layer of these two people who have been sort of cast out by society for different reasons, like coming together um, and, you know, finding a shared bond over that experience. Um, it's, it's, you know, the type of scene that would be a throwaway if you had a lesser filmmaker you know, or lesser performers um, in, you know, involved in the scene, but that's not the case of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm su honestly surprised you picked this one. It's not a bad scene, um, but like you said, it's it's setting things up for the rest of the movie, and I think it's setting things up that happen in better scenes. I think there's better scenes of him experiencing, you know, prejudice. I think there's better scenes of, you know, their relationship developing. Um, and I, like I said, I think this scene is setting a lot of groundwork. Um, but I, I just think as far as just, you know, just memorable scenes in the movie, I think there are a lot, you know, ones that do everything this one does better. Um, anybody else uh, who's seen Philadelphia and who has who's uh, got stuff to say about the scene? Um, yeah, I like, I like this movie a lot. Um, this is not the scene I was expecting. Uh, there's a couple of scenes. There's, I mean, I won't spoil, but uh, there are other scenes I was expecting. Um, I had to actually, when you were saying it, I had to remember like what the scene was. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, but there's a sort of, I do like the idea of that both these characters have a sort of a connection that they realize that they should team up. And even though Denzel still is not really fully with the whole HIV, I mean, he still has his distance with um, with Andrew. They There is sort of a, a mutual respect in the sense of like, I understand where you're coming from. Um, you are a human being, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is it is a great movie and I really do like it. It's probably one of my favorite Demi movies, but um, yeah, this is just a scene I wasn't fully expecting to be like, oh yeah. Um, wouldn't be my pick, but yeah, I do think it is a, a solid scene for sure. Yeah, definitely a great moment. Uh, not the scene I would have gone with. There's two I can think of off the top of my head that I do like a good deal more. Uh, the one of the court scenes and the the opera scene, like the record player scene. Uh, uh, I think uh, I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I didn't include any moments. But uh, good pick. Kirk, weren't you going to tell him that this is like an after-school special, like uh, kind of film that you know? We're talking about scenes. Like, we're not talking about movies. Well, the scene is shot from like an after-school, like it's a scene from an after-school special. I'm just that's uh, that's what I was famously told in a top 100. I was just trying to keep consistency. It's not a big deal. I didn't write um, about the scene, did I? That, that's true. That's also very true. Um, I like what Scott did, actually. Um, you picked the scene, kind of like what I did during scenes. There are the, the, like the, the big scenes, like the scenes that everybody thinks of, but then the lesser known ones that still have impact. I think this is a really great scene to pick. It's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. So uh, if I was to pick one from Philadelphia, I probably would have went with this one as well, um, just because it's one of the lesser scenes from the film. But it does. There's so many character moments inside this uh, scene. So good choice, Scott. 
Thank you. All right. That brings us to our final picks of the night. Jack, hit us with your 61. All right. Uh, my 61. I'll talk a little longer for this one, I swear. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, yeah, no. Uh, it's the, the end or the I want to live scene from It's a Wonderful Life. And honestly, it could honestly go higher uh, on a rewatch for me because I was blown away by this moment. I uh, saw it for the first time this year, and this moment just broke me when he, uh, when, uh, when George Bailey realizes everything that uh, that he's lost and uh, how how he, uh, how his actions in his life have affected. Uh, the town he lives in and without him what the town would be like and he completely breaks and just starts screaming I'm I want to live and then when he uh, uh, and then when he notices his lip starts bleeding he's like my lips bleed <laughs> Merry Christmas and he starts screaming Merry Christmas running all the way down uh, back to his place and uh, and when he when he finally gets back, there's cops there waiting for me. He's like, "Isn't it what wonderful? I'm getting arrested, and it, it's such a, such a great moment, such a great day." And uh, I I broke down uh, watching this film. Uh, one of the most beautiful moments I've seen in a long time, and definitely uh, gonna make this a priority to sh uh, show my family this Christmas. It's beautiful. Yeah, this uh, great pick. Uh, I watch this movie every year, and this scene from this moment on, I'm kind of a mess. Um, as soon as you know, as soon as he's you know, he's, I want he's down, and I want to live. I want to live. And then the snow starts, and you know, Bert shows up, and my lips bleeding. Bert, what do you think about that? And just you know, just the euphoria of him running down the street. Now, I love how running, you know, they they juxtapose, you know, that first like walk through uh, Potter's Field. In the in the town, and you know just how what it became, and then him seeing the town as it really is, and then just everything with him, with, you know, when everybody starts coming in, and just all the all the callbacks to everything that's happened, and all the people he helped, and everything. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I love this so much. Um, just you know, peak Capra, peak uh, peak Stewart, um, fantastic scene. Uh, Cody, um, you know, you can give me your opinion on the black and white version or the color. It's up to you. Uh, but what's everybody think about this scene? Well, I will say, like, have you seen this in color? Because at least a half star higher um, overall. But um, I'm confused. Um, when I did my ratings last year, um, I based it on how it makes me feel around that time of year. Um, this is like my number two. Now, um, I've come full circle in this movie. I think this movie is brilliant. I think this is like the definition of like makes me feel like the Christmas spirit more than most movies. Um, joy, happiness, everything. I just wouldn't pick if I'm picking one. If I pick one scene per movie, I don't know if this is the scene I pick from the movie. I think there are other scenes. I think there are brilliant. Scenes. I love the scene. I think it's just a very short moment, especially in I want to live. I like the I like the ending ending. Like when they're like all around. I think that's more of a thing. I like them. Um, so that's just my takeaway. I don't say it's a bad scene at all. Again, I would never say that with Kirk here or the number one, the 
you know, the number one Jimmy Stewart fan also running the show. Like, I, I want to, like, make that clean. I think I want to make you both happy. But, uh, no, I've come full circle. I think it's a great thing. Um, my only downside is, like, it's still, like, I hate that it's a one-time-a-year kind of movie for me. You know, that's the one takeaway. But color version, miles. Miles better than black and white. Let's not, let's not get crazy. We have the... We have the color. We have the technology. Let's use the technology. Yeah, right? I don't know if Let's you're being it. sarcastic, Cody, because that seems like such an Sunset Boulevard. Take. Oh, listen, Sunset Boulevard. Put it in color. Twelve Angry Men. Put it in color. All these things would be better with brighter cinema. Let's. Why are you the way that you are? Workers leaving the Lumiere well, like factory. Please. Yes. Yeah. Color. Train <laughs> arriving at the station. <laughs> Go ahead, Jake. Um, I haven't seen the movie. I might watch it. Oh, wow. Yeah, what did he say? Oh. <laughs> Come um, on, Jake. I watched Crocodile Dundee, okay? I had preferences. You know, he hates Christmas! I do. I do. I it, There's literally no one in the world that I don't hate right now. It's a great, wonderful, feel-good scene. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't like how you dismissed it, Scott. Uh, Cody, what is your number 61? Cody, are you there? At least I've seen the movie. True. True. Is the caller there? Paging Cody. And is Cody Newberry in the room with us now? I really (laughs) want him to go before me. So, can Cody. Sorry, I had to step away real quick. Sorry. You're 61. What is even mine? Cole, put it up. I don't know. I knew I wasn't talking again, so that's why I stepped away. Sorry. Yes. All right. That takes a Jake. Why do you want me to go? All right. So this may be the worst choice that I've ever made in my entire life. (laughs) Wow. You have the shit. Okay. In all honesty, this should be number one. I fucked up. I this is sixty one. This should be number one. I realized that this is probably the most important scene in the history of cinema, and I fucked up oh. by putting it at sixty one. I just want to apologize to everyone. Um, there's a filmmaker named Neil Breen. Uh, he makes incredible movies, uh, movies that inspire and uplift, and you know, expose the corruption of, uh, oh of governments. Gosh. I'm picking the scene in which Neil Breen exposes the corrupt businessmen and bankers in the film Faithful Findings. I'm going to be hanging from the bathroom! This is amazing. I want to see. Yes. Uh, the most beautiful and most powerful scene in the history of cinema. Neil Breen is just like, he's a tour de force as an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, an editor, a DP. He does everything. He's just, you know, top-notch auteur filmmaker. And in this, in the movie, he plays a guy named Dylan who is exposing the national and international governments and the corruption that's been going on through the business uh, business people and the politicians and the bankers. And he has all this information, and the whole government's trying to stop him. But he has superpowers because he is just the best human being to have ever existed. And at the end, he holds a press conference where he reveals to to the world the corruption that's been going on, and we see the bankers and the politicians who basically go like, "Yeah." He was right. We fucked up. We're sorry. We let everyone down. And then we expose, and then we see a sequence where everyone commits suicide, the politicians and the bankers, whether they're hanging themselves or they're in their garage and they turn the car on and the exhaust 
and they die by carbon monoxide poisoning or they just shoot himself you know or they they go in the bathroom and they slit their wrists so many different suicides that they do <laughs> there's a sequence in which a guy says that he resigns as president of the bank uh, we don't know what specific bank, but just in this universe, there's only one bank and he's the president of it. He resigns as president of the bank and just kills himself by shooting himself in the neck. Um, the effects are top notch. And really, it's an inspiring, uplifting scene, which we all should watch and be united in our in our fight against the one percenter. Um, very powerful stuff. Neil Green is such a um, He's a he's a masterful filmmaker and just knows how to make uh, good stories with good political uh, messages and uh, you know the meaning of life is really found in the faithful findings. I, I truly believe that. So yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Just so anybody doesn't realize what Jake is doing here, I don't want to be like, oh, Jake's talked about this good serious movie. No, um, what's the I don't question. think anyone thinks that. <laughs> I just want to be one hundred percent sure that no one's missing that. Um, I didn't rewatch the. I didn't watch the movie. I rewatched the best, the worst episode that this is on, uh, just to get an idea of it. Um, but yeah, this is Jake. <laughs> I think the part of your brain that's supposed to understand irony is broken. Um, this should be number sixty-one on your list. Um, holy crap! If you'd put this on 100, if you'd be like, 100, haha, Neil Breed movie. Is that hilarious? It had to put this end an episode. I needed it to end an episode. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I think when this, I, I think I, I put the link for the scene in the chat so everybody here can watch it. Um, I think I'm going to put it on the uh, link for the on the Facebook page uh, just so you can get an idea what he's talking about. Um, Neil Breen has brought me many hours of joy. Basically, just watching the Red Letter Media guys watch it and uh, you know, tear it apart. It's a mystery science theater movie, basically. Uh, yeah. Neil Breed is a fascinating individual. Um, he's kind of a less talented and less inspired Tommy Wiseau. Um, he's if, more interesting because he's more of an enigma. Tommy Wiseau just tells like everything and like, oh, it's a black comedy now. Very super serious. Neil Breen is. Neil yeah, Breen is like yeah, these yeah. are not midnight movies. He's very true. serious. Yeah, about you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah, he, he doesn't you do not get that from watching his movies. That's absolutely true. Uh, but yeah, this is a ridiculous pick. Has anybody else seen this, or does anybody else have a comment on it? I was watching. I was watching a little bit of it um, while Jake was talking. Uh, that the two things it reminds me of. First of all. The editing is very much like the boardroom scene from Birdemic, 100%. Like, <laughs> the, how, how bad the sound editing is. And then number two, this reminds me of how in the Steven Seagal film on Deadly Ground, at the very end, he, like, randomly after this action movie, he randomly has, like, a five-minute monologue about climate change that just ends the movie. <laughs> and it, 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 it uh, firmly <laughs> reminded me of that. So I... I want to watch it. I know who Neil Breen is, but I have never watched his films, but I'm sure I would get enjoyment out. Okay, he's, he's got a sixth film coming up soon. Hopefully, well, we, so we can watch that all together. It's time to stop! Jake started this episode off being like, these are my less outrageous picks. So, <laughs> not, that I, not that I ever cared what Jake thought about if I liked movies or not, like, or I was correct. This just proved that I really now don't give a shit. Like... You can't. You said sixty. I mean, good job, Jake. I'm proud of you. So, I've never heard of this movie, and the more you talked about it, the more I 
the more confused I got about what the hell this movie is. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever watch it, but uh, thank you for uh, for telling me that it exists because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Oh man! Okay, uh, let's cleanse our palate. Scott, take us home on this one. Um, all right. I will certainly do that. It's the ending scene of Arrival is my 61. Um, yeah, so we're talking about another Denis Villeneuve film. This one is my favorite. Um, it's just such a beautiful exploration um, of the world sort of coming together um, and choosing peace, choosing love in a, you know, potentially volatile situation um and that is perfectly captured by the personal journey that amy adams character goes on over the course of the movie um obviously we get the reveal that what we see at the beginning of the movie with her daughter dying actually has not happened yet and because of her experience with the alien language she has she has these like premonitions basically of what's going to happen in the future and so she now at the ending of the movie is is um is faced with the realization that, you know, she is now at the point where she can choose to be with Jeremy Renner, um, even though she knows that they're going to have this child together, the child's going to die, he's going to leave her. Um, and, you know, it's ultimately going to end in tragedy and heartbreak. Um, and yet she decides to make the choice to do it anyway, uh, because it is worth it to her. Um, and I think that's such a, a beautiful sentiment, um, again, and all of this is being conveyed through this really, you know, evocatively written monologue, voiceover monologue set to the Max Richter piece on the nature of daylight, which is a beautiful piece of music where like the violins are like, it sounds like the violins are like crying in the, in the piece of music. Like that's literally what it sounds like. And so it's obviously very emotional. Um, and this sort of like soft sci-fi type stuff that is like relating the cosmos to our own human experience always really connects with me. Um, and I think especially there's something like very, even though it deals with serious topics, like very soothing about this movie to me. Um, and I think the note that it leaves us on again with her, um, you know, choosing to go through the trials and tribulations because the journey is worth it. The love, the experience that she will get um, along the way is worth it to her, is um, is inspiring to pretty much anyone, uh, because obviously we all face those times in our, our own lives. And, you know, I love, again, her, Amy Adams' performance is so great in the movie, and we see her, like, really struggling with the decision in the end, and then, um, you know, just... She just like in the final moment, she just grabs on a little bit tighter to Jeremy Renner as they hug. And so that is like the movie's way of saying she's doing it. She's going to go through with it. Um, and we see like her daughter's entire life play out there in like, you know, 20 seconds worth of images. Um, it's just it, it it's one of the most emotional and moving endings to me. Um, I love this movie. Yeah, this is another movie I've watched it a couple times now. It hasn't fully grabbed me. I like it. I don't love it as much as you know, like you do, Scott. Um, but I'm finding more in it. But I've all, ever since the first time I saw it, I, I love the ending. I love how it plays out. I love that it's one of those things like it's a twist, 
where you don't see it coming, but also the movie didn't cheat. It makes perfect sense of, of how it works. Um, but yeah, just the idea of her, you know, knowing what the pain is going to be and still be, be willing to go through it because it's worth it. I think it's really strong. And I think for a movie about like aliens and stuff like that is, is it's just pretty cool that it has like those very much you know, that, that, that those big overarching themes. Um, everybody else on the ending of Arrival. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't like the ending of this movie. I'm sorry. Not a fan. Just with, I've never gotten it with the phone call and blah, blah, blah. But I figured it was going to be on some people's list. I'm glad it's just on one. So I love this movie. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. If I had seen it more recently, chances are uh, I'd have a scene from it on, on the list. But as of right now. So good pick though. Uh, I haven't seen this since the cinemas. I did a double feature one day of this and Nocturnal Animals, or Amy Adams' uh, double feature. Um, and Arrival, I think, is fantastic. Um, I do like the idea, the idea of this movie playing with the perception of time. And that whole opening sequence is just like fantastic, and then how it sort of plays into the rest of the movie. And the ending's good. Um, I think I like other scenes though, um, but I do like the whole idea when I like the idea when Jeremy Renner's just like, you know, I didn't. Make, join this so I can meet them I, to meet you and so it's like mm-hmm. okay even though it may end in tragedy like there's still these moments of you know of joy and happiness that we found even knowing that your daughter will die it's just kind of just showcases sort of like the idea of just life this is what it is like there are going to be tragedy but there's also going to be joy and happiness to be found so I do like the idea and what it, I do like the movie and I do like what the scene is, is trying to say all right, um, that wraps up this episode. Uh, I got to name winners. This is tough. It's a tight race this week. Oh well, yeah. um, well, I is mean, it uh, I think I think the top three have all pretty solid lists. So I got to pick a few things out here. Uh, first place is actually going to go to Jack. Yes. Um, Jack had a solid list. He had Godfather, Wonderful Life, two of my all-time favorite scenes. And the rest of his list is pretty strong, so I want Jack number one. Uh, number two is going to be uh, Scott. Um, right. I won't say which one, but Scott has my favorite scene of all time on his list today. Uh, and a couple other strong ones. His overall rest list was a little weaker than Jack, so um, that's why he's going number two. Um, Cody's number three. Um, nothing bad on his list, but he didn't have those high highs like Jack and Scott did. And then Jake being Jake. Jake. Jake had a chance. Jake had yes. some solid picks this week. Yes. Uh, but then we end up with uh, Fateful Five <laughs> number 61. So, I, uh, I had to include Neil Breen's scene. It's, a, it's a scene that just changes people's lives. You'd have to put it 61, Jake. Okay. At least you uh, talked about your scene, so give you credit to that. You know. So uh, that's it. We'll join us <sighs> next week. We are going to crack uh, the 50s. Almost halfway through. Uh, we've survived so far. Let's see if we survive it another week. Jack, take a nap before next week, please. Thank you all. So for you can coming. talk. We'll see you next week. New brain, high mind. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow! I hurt my arm! And not expect everybody. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine. <laughs>